0: Sorry, everybody. I was uh, dancing to the tune. But ladies and gentlemen, we welcome you live to episode number 35 of the Primetime Rundown presented to you, or rather powered by StreamYard right here on the Eastern Observer, as well as Zingo television, Television, excuse me, my goodness, Channel 199. We are live on Blackjack TV this evening because of New Jersey high school football being uh, aired live on I-95 Sports Network, channel 198. So please, if you've had enough of us, just hit channel up and uh, and go see Bobby, because I'm sure it happens after a while with us. But alongside my guys, Ian Schreier, Rob DeLuca, I'm Joey Drazinka. We cannot thank you enough for joining us here on this Friday evening. A new time here, 7 o'clock. We're going from 7 to 9. We're gonna try something different here, and the reason being is because of obviously you know six o'clock is dinner, and we want to make sure that we maximize the viewership, and we hope that we can enter your homes at a good time, as opposed to while all of your mouths are full. So please, let's get things started. Ian, Rob, how are you? And uh, it's been it's been one hell of a week. Uh, my goodness, ranging with uh, with, with the Yankees winning and the. Uh, and and the the, the post game um, with the Jets and the and the and the Broncos last night, where Vic Fangio doesn't want to even uh, shake hands because there could be some uh, physical activity. So, how was your week?s
1: I, I would say my week was uh, relatively the same, just about. Uh, but but from a sports perspective, uh, uh, the Marlins are still going, so uh, that, that's that that's where I'm at at this point.
2: Tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, uh, what a year this week has been, huh? I mean, just from like we're on, we're we're thankfully on Friday. Thank God it's Friday, and that probably couldn't ring true more. Just for you know a whole variety of reasons, but even in sports, you know, because the, these these first round of the baseball playoffs have brought nothing but surprises, really. It really has. It it's brought so many surprises beyond
0: because. Uh, not only that, again, as you said, Ian, the Marlins are winning, the Cubbies are not. But before we get started into everything, we want to just mention to everybody that our uh, our beginning or the beginning of our show and also our show is presented to you by Black Cats NYC. We cannot thank Tyler Adele, our former co-host, uh, and actually has moved into the back end of our website, uh, etc., and his uncle, Andrew Giordano, has come out with a brand new hit single called Dirty Little Hipster. It's available on Apple Music, Deezer, YouTube, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Google Play, Pandora, and Spotify. So please, if you are interested in the song that you just heard in the beginning of our uh, of our broadcast at the top of the hour, uh, please download it and search Dirty Little Hipster. Also, because of the Marlins, we are we are doing a giveaway here, and this is an eight and a half by eleven photo of the legendary Donnie baseball, Don Mattingly, when he was with the Yankees. For those that may want to uh, win this photo, uh, this is courtesy of Steiner Sports. Please follow us on Twitter and also at uh, at the Eastern Observer on Instagram, and show us how you are celebrating uh y- your time watching baseball uh it's obviously an odd time so here are the instructions here uh follow us at the eastern observer or at observe eastern on twitter and or at the eastern observer on instagram the, the eastern observer also on facebook and show us how you are enjoying the playoffs this fall by sending us a photo it would be fantastic if you guys were wearing masks but hey listen that would be uh, those are just the uh, the little instructions there. That would be pretty cool. Uh, so let's get let's get to it as we were saying. So guys, uh, also we can't forget the Tampa Bay Lightning won their second Stanley Cup uh, in franchise history. Let's get started with that because uh, you know the last few last few minutes uh, we've been do- talking about baseball. But the, the the biggest thing here, a championship has been uh, brought back here to Tampa Bay or to the United States and brought back to Tampa. Um, pretty cool sight to see Steven Stamkos on the ice, um, and the last time since we were on, uh, since we were on here in episode number thirty-four, uh, you know, there was a lot to be spoken about with the with the Lightning. See how they could do it without Stamkos. I mean, hell, they did it for the longest time, um, but then also could Dallas come back, guys? We know that they could not. They did not uh Ian I want to start with you uh you are the stats guru you are the stats geek let's talk a little bit about Tampa and uh and the tough decisions that now they're going to have to face in their defense for the Stanley Cup uh
1: it's uh their first Stanley Cup since 2004 and it's it's just great for the Tampa Bay Lightning that it it finally happened for them uh you know how many times have they just been denied after having a 3-1 series lead and it was just great to see them get over the hump uh I don't think you could have Fat picked a more deserving player for the Conn Smythe Trophy in Victor Hedman. Uh, It seemed like any time that the Lightning needed a big goal or a big play to be made. Uh, You know, he was the number two pick in in, in his draft for a reason, right behind John Tavares. Uh, So there's no, you know, I'm I'm just happy for John Cooper and his team. It was time for them. Uh, It just seemed like they were never able to get over that hump and in, in Tampa Bay's case I'm glad it happened this year. Vasilevsky was a stud again between the pipes. They had so many weapons offensively. I mean, they do have a couple of restricting restricted free agents that they have to come up and sign like Anthony Sorelli, Mikhail Sergachev, some young up and coming players that um really came into their own during the playoffs. But uh I I mean, look, they look certainly set to go for another run in uh tw- in um 2021.
0: Yeah, let's not forget also about Eric Chernak as well. Who there have been? There has been a lot of chatter where he could possibly get offer sheeted because of his performance uh, in the Cup playoffs and uh, and the Cup final as well. Luca, your thoughts? You're the hockey guru here in this room. Let's hear your thoughts about Tampa. Um, I mean,
2: what yeah, are the champions. Yeah, I mean, hey, what a what a team! I mean, what a what a run! Two bu- they had to go through the travel of going to both bubbles, and it was a – you know, this, is, this wasn't an easy season, you know. Pause in March, off for five months, and you come back, and you have to – not a lot of practice. It was really anybody's cup at this point. It was a very long, very gruesome playoff, both physically and mentally tolling on the players, and Tampa was able to just from start to finish really t- – take. It seemed like, like I, I mean, this could sound kind of you know crazy, but once they won that five overtime game against Columbus in round one, you kind of knew that you know what if this team can hang. Like this could be a team that's going to do something special because they just made history on going five overtimes, and then next thing you know, here they are. And it's hard to believe that game was two months ago, and it's just just a phenomenal run. Dallas. I mean, hey, look, props to the Dallas Stars for getting here to get into the final. Nobody, and I mean nobody, including myself, expected Dallas to be there, but they did end up meeting their match. Tampa was just way too powerful for them, and just a and phenomenal, phenomenal series. And a touch of the heart just made sense to see Blake Coleman score a goal in the in the final game of the series as a Devils fan.
1: And I wanted to say to Rob also, I mean, to kind of piggyback with what Rob's saying, I think you got to give a lot of credit uh, to the stars, who I think a lot of us all wrote off after Game 3, and we felt that this series was going to end over the next two nights at the time in Games 4 and 5. And um, remember, they had an early lead in Game 4. They were up 2 nothing early, and uh, the Lightning come back. They win it in overtime, and, and uh, even in Game 5, uh, for them to come out and put forward that, forth that performance after a devastating Game 4 loss where they could have even the series, they come back and they pull the series within three to two. So, yes, uh, I don't think anyone expected the Stars, to, like Rob said, for the Stars to be there. But uh, I would say over the over games four and five, they certainly deserve the credit where it's due of, uh, I mean, winning one of those games and losing one of those games in devastating fashion. But uh, they certainly played like their backs were against the wall.
0: Yeah, and not only that too, but also let's not forget an amazing playoff performance from Joe Pavelski as well, who also sure. set the record uh, to, to set the record. Uh, with the most playoff goals by a United States-born skater. That is probably the coolest thing that we have seen um, this hot this hockey season. Obviously, we've seen the Islanders get to the Eastern Conference Final. That was pretty cool, no bias there. Uh, but also, uh, you know, with Tampa, when being able to win the Cup is uh, something really special as well. And also, again, to be able to see uh, what's going to be happening in the next, uh, let's call it, uh, you know, seven days or so with free agent frenzy coming around, we'll get to that announcement shortly, but with Tampa, uh, it's going to be a a fun ride to see when, uh, when Andre Vasilevsky's contract goes from three and a half million dollars AAV to nine and a half million AAV and where they can get, uh, the help that they can to eventually, again, as we said earlier to become uh, who knows? Maybe they have to uh, they have to do a lot to defend their title, uh, fellas. Let's keep it moving here. And uh, and again, it's it, there's a lot to talk about with hockey because um, it really is a, a sad, sad time for Ian Schreier and also for a lot of Rangers fans out there. Uh, and basically, what it comes down to is is that uh, the end of an era. Uh, at Madison square garden and Henrik Lundqvist, uh, has been bought out of his eight and a half million dollar final year of his contract. Um, and now he now has the ability to go play wherever he desires. And truthfully, that probably, uh, is really amazing to see. Um, because at some point it was going to happen. The writing was on the wall. And now he's gone Ian. your thoughts as a fan and also a little bit of what we were talking about last night as well. You and I
2: personally.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, the resume speaks for itself. I mean, we certainly know that no other player in New York Rangers history is probably ever going to don the number 30 uniform ever again. Um, We're certainly going to see his number uh, get raised to the rafters in the future after he retires. Um, Hopefully by that point, this pandemic will be over and we'll be able to pack out Madison square garden and uh, you know, there'll be 15 to 20,000 raging New York Ranger fans there to watch that happen. Um, I mean, he's obviously, uh, I wouldn't say obviously, cause I mean, maybe some people would say Richter or Jackman, but arguably he's the greatest goaltender in New York Rangers history. Uh, he's number, you know, at least wherever he goes from here, he's number six all time. He's the all time in terms of NHL history for wins. I think he's the number two active goalie in terms of for wins only behind Marc-Andre Fleury, uh, Vezina winner in 2012, uh, I don't think there's there's anything to say in regards to a future enshrinement in into the Hockey Hall of Fame. He certainly thinks I certainly think he deserves to be there, but unfortunately he does have that caveat now that in his Rangers career um, he's going to kind of get the Merino treatment at this point, where he just did not win that championship, had the opportunity to and. 2014, but we certainly know what happened in that series against the Kings. And Joey, if you put that picture up there, I saw you reaching for that mouse. I was hoping you wasn't going to come to that, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, but the highlight high reel says, I mean, uh, you know, a couple that stick out in my mind, the one against Krejci in Boston uh, that he stuck out the glove and robbed them of a goal, though that series was over at that point. Uh, but obviously the one that sticks out in everybody's mind is from the 2014 run when uh, – Um, in game six when they clinched the Eastern Conference and clinched their spot in the Stanley Cup final when he made that incredible stop in a scoreless game on Thomas Vanek uh, when he actually hit the puck in the air to redirect it. So uh, there's no doubt that Henrik Lundqvist is the greatest goaltender in Rangers history. You saw that over the last three or four years that his play clearly regressed. Um, Ranger fans knew this time was coming. I don't think anyone wanted to admit that it was coming. I don't think anyone wanted to feel that he wouldn't retire as a Ranger. Um, As a sports fan and as a Rangers fan, I. I know a lot of Ranger fans disagree with me in this respect and I'm not saying that, you know, I don't even think Eli Manning, you know, should have gone out on his own terms. I mean, I'm sorry to say that, but it's true. It's, you know, the Giants forfeited three or four possible years of a rebuild because they thought Eli Manning still had one more Super Bowl run left in him. It really, Even though the Rangers were in the thick of a rebuild, you saw over the last three or four years that Henrik Lundqvist was no longer the same goalie and Igor Shesterkin was the future for the Rangers between the pipes. So I think that it, while it's not the prettiest way for him to go out as a buyout, this is the right move for Jeff Gorton, John Davidson in the Rangers front office. And um, I certainly can't thank them enough for 15 amazing seasons as a fan.
0: Yeah. It's it, again, I remember uh, there's so many positive memories, um, you know, from the outsider looking in, and again, there are times where I look and I say, you know, I'm extremely grateful to see the 2014 Stanley Cup Final, uh, and uh, you know, the whole uh, Alec Martinez goal, etc. But in all, in all, again, all joking aside, um, you know, one of, and and I actually tweeted this, and I had said that um, on the Mount Rushmore of New York athletes, Henrik Lundqvist is on it. Uh, there's no doubt about it, whether we like it or not, uh, he is. And, you know, for all three of us here, again, you know, where we have at at the Coliseum anyway, where we have all of the uh, jerseys that are, um, retired and up in the rafters, those are also a part of, uh, New York royalty. And there is no doubt about it that even also, um, uh, even though also uh, Martin Brodeur is also in the same exact category as well, um, obviously with a few more cups than, uh, than, than Henrik has. But again, it, it, it the, 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 numbers speak for itself. And, and again, I will conclude with this before we get to DeLuca, probably the greatest goaltender in NHL history to never wear, uh, to never win a Stanley cup. Uh, we don't know if that will happen, um, you know, down the road, but it is very possible again, just to, uh, just to chime in here. But uh, before before people uh, I see there's on our comments here for those that are looking for the high school football game, Elmwood Park, uh, that is on channel 198 on Zingo television. It is free to sign up on the I-95 Sports Network. So hopefully that is uh, something that uh, that's some some helpful information for those that are scrambling to find uh, their, uh, their sons or uh, whoever it may be, relative, uh, playing in that football game. So uh, thank you for joining us, but uh, the football game is on what Channel 198,
2: not 199 tonight. Um,
0: Rob DeLuca, your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, it's hard for me to put into words what Henrik Lundqvist has meant to the city of New York, to the New York Rangers, to the National Hockey League. I mean, this is a, this is a guy who came in here, sixth-round draft pick in the year 2000, and seventh-round pick, excuse me, seventh-round pick, and, it, you, you know, seventh-round picks, you don't really think are much are going to happen. You know, there's always those rare exceptions, and yet again, here he is, one of the rare exceptions. I couldn't agree with you more, Joey. He's the greatest goaltender in New York – or with Ian, greatest goaltender in New York Rangers history, not even a question, and it is unfortunate he never got the, the trophy – Hopefully, I do. I literally, obviously, I don't like him, but I there's not being a devil (laughs) fan. But the respect is always there. It's because he would take it to the next level, especially when he played the Devils. It was very infuriating over the last fifteen years to watch him beat us. But nevertheless, I wish him nothing but the best. If he if he chooses to sign somewhere else and goes for that cup, I wish him nothing but the best. I would love to see Henrik Lundqvist lift that cup over his head before it's all said and done. But it is unfortunate that it will not happen at Madison Square Garden. Or it could happen at Well, M- in theory, yes. It be that, would team. that would require the Rangers going to the final, which, come on, we know that.
1: We're, we're still a few years away from we're that. Away from that. that. Well, uh, the,
2: well, the next thing uh, you know, I was going to say, well,
0: is that similar to the Alan Walsh picture of uh of uh, with Mark Andre Fleury? That would be the same thing with Ian, where it would be one massive sword in the back if that were to uh if that were to happen. But uh, well, I, I know there's
1: a lot of rumors going around uh, about would he would he back up in Colorado? Obviously, a, a city right now that has a lot of pieces in place to m- make a run for a championship. There was even a joke that went around that would even the Devils consider. Uh, taking a run at Lundquist just on his history and the fact that they're going to be in search for a goaltender. So, um, I mean, (laughs) I'm sure it would put the knife in a lot of Ranger fans back for him to go (laughs) for him to go across the Hudson. Uh, But look, like like Rob said, I I, I wish Hank nothing but the best. I mean, any Ranger fan, no matter where he goes, any Ranger fan that's going to be disloyal about where he goes is, is just kidding themselves at this point. I mean, he he's the reason why they've, they've gotten to where they have over the last decade and a half. And uh, th- th- there's nothing more to be said about
0: it. Yeah. Um, and the biggest thing too, guys is, is that, um, you know, it's,
1: it's going to be
0: really great to see where he goes. And this is actually the perfect segue into our announcement for next week, and uh, and the coolest thing, fellas, is that now that the two of you are my co-hosts officially, and for those that did not hear, I know we made it an internal, uh, an internal, uh, you know, um, a conversation, if you will, but now it is uh, it is a hundred percent public. And the coolest thing is, is that the three of us are going to be on a special called free agent frenzy uh, and it's going to be next Friday night uh, between uh, the, the times are to be determined right now but right now we do have it on at six o'clock but uh, looks like it's going to be six o'clock so that's why I did leave the graphic the way I did so uh, obviously continue sticking around with us uh, on Facebook Twitter uh, Instagram social media in general because that is where you'll find all of our Uh, latest information and the coolest thing also is is that this will be the first special that Ian and Rob DeLuca are on with us so it's going to be really fun and it's going to be a special all about hockey free agents and now Ian can now be a little bit excited about where his Rangers might stand and the same thing goes with Rob DeLuca and the Devils but to an extent they just have to reach the cap floor other than that it should be tons of fun (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah well i mean yeah well, we'll spend, <laughs> gotta spend money you know we'll, we'll see what happens it's and don't 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 knock your new york islanders you know they got a lot of work to do oh i do oh i know oh I, and you know
0: what and the biggest thing is is that where but you know what i don't know if it's gonna be free agents i think it's gonna be a lot of trades that could eventually see some pieces heading away and you know somebody that's away. Guys,
1: what eight million dollar cap hit at this point Exactly. So
0: who knows where we're going to be come uh, next Friday, but also let's not forget after Tuesday's National Hockey League draft. Um, Fellas, let's keep it moving here. And uh, obviously the the biggest thing was, was that we wanted to talk about a little bit of the free agents, but I think we're going to skip on that because we're going to devote all of that time to next week. And let's get to the biggest uh, series aside from Uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning winning their second Stanley Cup, how about Major League Baseball playoffs? And uh, there are so many good games, so many upsets. And you know, it's very funny we speak about these upsets, guys, because just looking at our graphic here, and again, that's my apologies on not making a a StreamYard-specific graphic, but again, I know Um, my boss, Rob DeVita, would be very, very disappointed when he sees this graphic and sees how it's displayed here. Ian, I'm sure you're probably, you know, kicking yourself and saying, God, I would not hire this kid if it were whatever uh, (laughs) at your place. But um, just looking at some of the statistics here, and right now, uh, I'm in dead last, and uh, Ian, Tyler, and DeLuca are all in third place. So many good series. And how many upsets we were just talking about earlier off game? So, did
2: Joey just
1: say we're all in third place?
0: Aren't Ooh, we all? Sorry, in I'm, in, I'm in dead last. Well, three, wait a minute!
1: Wait a minute! You, you, you just said that we're all in first, first place. All wow! Three, all, three first. All, wow. You, all
0: three of you are in first. We're, we're, we're,
1: and we're So whether we finish four and four or three and five after t- tonight. Yeah, um, we are all the same. We're on
2: the same here. We're on the same boat here. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> terrible.
0: And just to and just to bring that up one more time again, because that was a lot of miscomb- or discombobulation or whatnot. But again, we saw the Chicago White Sox, which we all d- thought that uh, that they would win. They were upset in three. Houston won in two. They upset uh-huh. Minnesota.
2: It's
1: such hot garbage! I, I, oh, I, I cannot wait till I, you
2: get to me on the twins. I have a <laughs> <laughs>
0: and the New York Yankees. The New York Yankees came back and won in game number two in a very controversial uh, win because of the precipitation that was falling in the beginning of the game, and a lot of comments saying should they have started this game? Should they have played this game? But let's start off with the first series, and that is right now uh, with the New York Yankees and the Cleveland Indians. So, uh, guys, you know the, the Yankees played really well in the first game. Shane Bieber really did not look good um, in in game number one. Uh, the Yankees were almost written off uh, at that point with against Shane Bieber because of the the numbers that he was posting all throughout this shortened season. But let's not forget Garrett Cole was the the counterpart pitcher for the New York Yankees. And he did absolutely phenomenal. And they came back, or not only they came back, they led the whole time. But then in game number two, where it was a rain uh, a rain delay, they started when they sh- probably should not have, and that was a lot of controversy. Guys, let's talk about this and how this could have a major impact on the game of baseball. And not only that, but also their integrity about maybe protecting their own players. Uh,
1: I, look, uh, you, one thing that happens is when in the sport of baseball is it's, it's completely, it's not even so much up to the league office. The league office is not going to call down when the game starts. It's completely up to the umpires as to whether or not they want to pull the players off the field. Um, do I disagree with the fact of why they were going to play through a rainstorm? Yeah. I mean, look, the Cubs and Marlins had their game too postponed. why exactly weren't the Yankees and Indians rescheduled for another day. And I'm sure when the Yankees were down at the time, four to one, uh, that every Yankee fan was like, why are they playing? Why are they playing? And I, and trust me, I read it right down on my Twitter feed about how many Yankee fans uh, were upset about the fact that the Yankees and Indians were still playing. Um, I'm sure a lot, a lot of that attitude changed after Gio Urshela hit that grand slant. And I don't think I ever saw another Yankee fan on Twitter complain when the Yankees went up five to four. Uh, it, look, it was... Certainly, there wasn't a lot of great pitching aside from Garrett Cole in this series. Um, The Yankees still took it in two. Uh, Gio Urshela, I mean, what what more can be said about him in game two? I mean, it was Chapman comes in in the bottom of the eighth. He gives up the go-ahead run. Um, He should have given up two more if not for Urshela turning that spectacular double play on his back. Um, It's very possible, I would say, likely that we're watching a game three tonight. Um, at progressive field uh, between the Yankees and the Indians if Urshela does not turn that double play. And then they take that momentum and put up two off Brad Hand and uh, end up winning the game 10-9. to So um, the Yankees right now uh, are putting it together offensively um, like they were expected to three months ago. Um, So they are certainly getting hot at the right time. 22 runs scored in two games. They're getting contributions from just about every part of the lineup. Uh, and and we obviously know their depth, so everybody at this point right now is healthy or at least healthy to a certain degree. Um, You know what you're getting out of Voight. You know what you're getting out of Judge. Even Stanton's contributing right now, so as a Yankee fan, you really can't complain too much. The only concern that they have still is is, uh, something that they really expected to be a staple was their bullpen, which has not been a staple right now, and aside from Garrett Cole, their starting pitching is – incredibly questionable but if you're scoring 22 runs in two games it's going to be an exciting series against the Rays but I'm not so sure that even the Rays pitching can handle the Yankee offense right now
0: that's a bold statement Ian, ha- uh, Ian wow. that is a bold tap. bold bold statement and the biggest thing right now is is that you you brought up the fact that beyond Garrett Cole beyond Tanaka and he's another question mark as well you have to look also at the pitching change that happened, uh, I think it was the eighth inning, Rob DeLuca, or, or right around there, the seventh to the eighth inning. It depends what pitching change you mean. I'm talking about, uh, when when, uh, when Aaron Boone went to Loisaga, yep, yep, yeah, uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I oh, believe yeah. I was in the sixth inning after using Britain, then right, and, and then uh, and also Ottavino getting a chance in that game, right? Well, that was the whole thing
0: was that w- there was inevitably nothing coming from. Uh, Adam Adovino, there was not a single, single bit of confidence or any faith from Aaron Boone to be able to put him in. And it was a very, very questionable uh, pitching change where even some of the broadcasters, this is something that you you normally would not hear from a uh, Matt Vaskersion or an Alex Rodriguez, or uh, even Buster Olney as well, who was on the call for that game, saying, "Wow, that is a very questionable call." And this is stuff that you normally see, like when you play a video game, like when you you know you you make any swaps or whatever that that are you know make completely no sense. This is something that was very close to that, and I was very 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 um, hesitant on that as well. But I like what Ian said there where uh, you don't know if the, the Tampa Bay pitching can take that offensive. Whoa,
1: whoa, 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 whoa. I, I, didn't, I didn't say it that way. I just said, I think it's going to be a lot for the, for the Rays to handle. I oh, think, wow. that, yeah, I think it's going to be a lot for the, for the Rays pitching to handle. I mean, look, did Blake Snell and Tyre Glasno have good starts against the, the Blue Jays? Yes. But, by, I mean, the Jays are a young and up-and-coming team. The Yankees have just averaged 11 runs over two games. Um, I, I don't know the, the two scores off the top of my head, but I'm not so sure the Blue Jays scored more than a few runs in that series against the Rays. So I'm not saying that the the Rays don't have two or three lockdown pitchers. I mean, if you look at their regular season stats, Snell didn't have Blake Snell didn't have a good year. Tyler Glasnow did not have a good year. So – I know the Rays went eight and two this year against the Yankees in the regular season. The Yankees are hitting their stride at exactly the right time. I, I refused to believe the writers that said, you know, these, these Yankees are giving me a big time feel of the Washington nationals from last year. There were, there were writers that were saying it. I refused to believe it. And that's why I took the Indians in three games. I mean, not like I, I wasn't expecting a sweep, but that's why I took the Indians. I didn't think the Yankees were going to be able to produce in these two games, uh, the the way that they have uh, so there's it's a lot to go off of right now I mean I'm not sure what the average score was between the Yankees and the Rays in the regular season but this is a different Yankee team than what than what we're seeing right now in the postseason
2: yeah yeah Ian it's a uh, it's a healthy team in comparison to what the Yankees had to put up against Tampa Bay during the regular season I was a uh, not many games against Tampa Bay where they were running a full lineup like they are right now. So sure. the, this series will be very, very interesting. And J- Joey, I apologize. I cut you off there. You go. You no, go. That's
0: okay. That is completely okay. Please finish your thought.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah. Look, we're coming. Yeah. The An- look, the Yankees had a great series. They they dominated game one. You love to see it. And I, I, I certainly enjoyed it. I certainly enjoyed that from start to finish. Game two couldn't have been more of a heart attack for me. I was – there was – at no point was I actually enjoying that, really. I mean, the, 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 like, when your team's in it, it's such a different feel. Like, Joey, I probably felt like you did with the Islanders all playoff long for the NHL, and I haven't had that feeling in a very, very long time, not since one calendar year ago, obviously, with right. the same New York Yankees. Yeah. But, because that's the only team that ever gets me any happiness in it. <laughs> but none, nonetheless – they they stuck it out I couldn't be more proud as a Yankees fan that they are moving on into and I feel they had to do it in two I feel like this went to a game three which would have been yesterday I don't think we're t- sitting here today talking about the New York Yankees I think we'd be sitting here talking about the Cleveland Indians but nonetheless we're talking about the Yankees because they moved on as did Tampa Bay sets up a beautiful division rival in the LDS I think it could be a it could go one way or another, like Ian said, if the Yankee offense shows up like they did. But now there's a lot of time off, so things could cool down. You just never know anymore. And with, with the Yankees using Kyle Higashioka for Garrett Cole every time, it just that's a connection that seems to be working, so obviously you don't, you don't mess with that. So I think this will be a very competitive series with Tampa, and it's just going to be very close, very, very likely a five-game set.
0: Yeah, and, and not only that too, but also um, they have to now go to. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it's San Diego. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, they head to, and uh, it's now a best of five. So they're going to be going all the way through three different time zones, and uh, and now they're going to be starting this bubble play, if you will. These are actual bubbles, folks. We'll get to the whole that whole dilemma later on in the show. Um and you know the moment the moment I hear MLB and bubble I think you know like we're talking about um so you know that's kind of the way I think but in terms of this yes there is going to be a bubble um and it is San Diego and it's going to be Tampa Bay versus the Yankees starts on Monday night on TBS we do not know the time yet still to be determined um I'm assuming it'll probably be a primetime game um we'll see what the, uh, the Astros and the athletics uh, will be, which is actually the perfect segue into our next uh, set of C we se- next series, which was Houston and Minnesota. So fellas, uh, I want to start off with this little, um, with this little graphic here. And uh, this is directly from Houston Astros public relations. And I got to tell you, they got some cojones fellas, because this is, this is something else. Quote, People are mad. People don't want to see us here. What are they going to say now? We're a solid team. We won a series on the road in Minnesota. So what are they going to say now? End quote. That is directly from Carlos Correa. So for that to be posted on there, and again, what Carlos Correa said, in my opinion, is bongos completely because you're now officially 500. If you think about it, because if I'm not mistaken, I think they were two games under 500. So oh,
1: yeah. Came in? I like yeah, I think they were like 29 and 31. Yeah, I think
0: you're so, right. then, so then now with two wins, 29 plus two is 31. You're officially 500. Congratulations. got yeah. there. Good for you. Fellas, your thoughts on this. And now let's not forget, Justin Verlander also is going to be out all of 21.
2: Wow. Okay so yeah I mean look yeah I'll t- I'll t- let me tell you about this so yeah look Houston yeah you did be- you did beat Minnesota on the road yeah Minnesota the most useless most pathetic playoff team probably in existence this team is so bonkers bad once you get to the show of the playoffs they can't win a series even a game to save their life when it's on the line. They're, that's 18 in a row now. So, yeah, Houston, it's really not that impressive that you won against the worst statistical playoff team in Major League Baseball, potentially of in Major League Baseball history. I don't think we've ever seen a run like this of the Minnesota Twins. So, yeah, let's see how you do against Oakland in a real series and see if you're still talking after that.
1: Yeah, I agree with Rob 100%. Aside from Nelson Cruz in that two-game series with the uh for the Twins, the Minnesota Twins as an offense batted 5 for 53. That's an 0-54 batting average from the other eight parts of the other eight players that they're running out there in their lineup in both games. 5 for 53. And then in game 2, I mean I I, I forgot the name of the home plate umpire that that was behind the dish for game 2, but Eddie Rosario, I mean they're down a run or two. Is getting himself rung up in a must-win game on balls and strikes. So your cleanup hitter is now getting tossed out of the game. I thought this was going to be finally the year for Minnesota. Everything I was doing, everything I was watching, everything I was researching led to, you know, people to believe this is it for Minnesota. Don't go against them based on their their history of postseason futility. There's nothing to worry about here. Houston's going to advance to the ALDS. Well, Looks like all four of us, including Tyler Adele, were wrong about the Minnesota Twins for believing the hype in the Twins once again. They just never seem, like Rob said, to get it done when it really matters. Yep, and we all picked them in two, and uh, it turned out to be the other way. Uh, They may
2: have also partially been in our hatred of the Houston Astros.
1: (laughs) 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 Well, No, I mean, listen, I I was definitely battling with it when I made that decision because there was part of me that's like, Houston's been here before. They've won, they've won a World oh, yeah. Series, whether or not they cheated. They've won a World Series. The Minnesota Twins can't ever seem to get out of their own way in the first round. So there was part of me that was leaning towards taking Houston, but I just it yeah. on the fact that they were an under-500 team this year. So, But I'm, I'm going to take the Houston side here for a second. Are they a team to really watch out for? recent history, as I just suggested, said says yes because of their success. I'm just saying, based on recent history, whether or not they cheated, let's throw the cheating out the window. The players that they still run out there on a daily basis in their lineup: Carlos Correa, Jose Altuve, George Springer, Alex Bregman. That can go up and down, up and down the list. It, it, they're obviously it's a lineup full of great hitters that we've seen over the last few years. But how well did the Astros play in that two-game series? And how much stake, like I said, are we putting into this series against a team that it, that is so futile in the postseason? In game one, the game was tied at one going into the ninth inning. The Twins had a chance to get out of the inning with two outs and the bases loaded, and their shortstop throws the ball away on a, on a double play ball. Or no, I'm sorry, there was a, there was two outs, so it was it would have just been a force out at second. Throws the ball away, leads to a three run inning. Houston wins four to one. So did you really hit well in that inning, or did did you just catch a break because the Twins threw the ball away? So. It, I don't think the Astros played well in that series. I just think that they ran into a team that just flat out played worse. Um, and I think Oakland's got a real good good opportunity on their hands here. I mean, Oakland's another team that has had real postseason futility. Um, we'll get into the A's in a second. Um, but this year it seems like uh, that they're finally finding a way to put it together thanks to guys like Chris Bassett and a nice come from behind winning game three. So, and and the Astros this year were three and seven against Oakland. So as long as the ace can somehow put it together and they're coming off a much more dramatic win. And I think they have much more momentum right now than the Astros do. I would certainly give Oakland the edge in the division series against Houston. Fellas, let's not
0: forget too. How about catcher Sean Murphy, who has really come into his own. And you have to realize something also is that, uh, another player who is the cornerstone of this franchise is Matt Chapman. And he is out. He is done. So now what is the next thing? It is next man up. And right now with the Oakland Athletics, right, we'll get to them in a minute. Um, but the way the way the Athletics are, I personally believe that they're going to win. No bias. Uh, but, you know, I think right now with the way Houston is going, I don't know how much you can rely on Zach Granke in the huge game. We saw it last year in the World Series. He couldn't get it done. Neither could Justin Verlander, but you had to realize something is that you actually had Verlander there to potentially say, all right, let's try this. You now don't have him. You now have Lance McCullers, um, uh, don't, fr- uh, uh, the the uh, uh, last name starts with the U. You're Quate. Oh, I- Jose Irquity. Yeah. Urquidy. Right. Exactly. I was going to say you're Quady. um it, it, Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, so in as well, you know, you have down, down the rotation, it becomes very questionable. Sure. The only sure. one, and again, you can't bring out Zach Granke every single day. Again, we must realize that. This ALDS, there are no off days. It is in a bubble. It is Monday through Friday. And then the ALCS starts and the the championship league championship series will start on that Saturday. So there is no days off. Next week, when we are back on, even though we're not going to be talking about it, is that the day after, literally in 12, 15, 20 hours, whatever. The League Championship Series is going to be so we don't know what's going to happen with 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 uh, with Houston because all of a sudden, Car, you know, Carlos Correa says this, but the only thing that I could think of when it comes to Carlos Correa is this. So you know, again, it, it, it yeah. just really, um, it's really, I think, gutsy of him to to bring up something along those lines where well. You wrote us off, and you won against a team that has not won. Now, these notes are identical here as what we found on MLB.com. They have not won a playoff game, not a series, a playoff game since the year 2004. Fellas, where were you in 2004? I think I was age nine, and I think in third grade. You're making me
1: feel really old right now.
2: <laughs> I, was, uh, I was, yeah, Joey. I was, about nine, I was about nine years old. I was, yeah, I'm in four, like fourth grade, and I was probably just finishing. Yeah, I mean, at that point, yeah, I'm probably, you know. In I, I,
1: as two Yankee fans uh, sharing the show with me, I don't think you guys want to know where I was in 2004. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was in college watching the American League Championship Series and watching the Red Sox eventually go on to win the World yeah. Series. So that that's where I was at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You guys might not remember the 0-4 uh, ALCS as vividly as I do. But, uh, nah. I mean, you left it open there, Joey. That is true. You, you are 100 in 2004. And, and I'm glad to tell you where I was.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, but, again, 2004, have not won a playoff game since then, the Minnesota Twins. You really did not accomplish much. Uh, this team is – is bound for failure once they reach the big game or once they reach the show, as per Rob DeLuca. And also, I don't want to say, and I don't want to say, well, in def- in Minnesota's defense, they did not have their best hitter in Josh Donaldson. No, that's not the case because Josh Donaldson, really, I don't know if he would have made a. Fa- I don't know if he would have made that that impact where like they played. They no. could. They could. No. He could bring him. You know, to the promised land he was not he was a non factor
1: so uh, I mean, you knew that game 2 was over in the 8th yeah. inning when Nelly Cruz with one out the only guy on the team that was doing anything offensively draws a walk Rocco Baldelli signals to Cruz to come off the field at, who was actually the DH so to come off, come off first base he puts Byron Buxton who had, had an injury entering the series comes in to try to steal a base they're down a run um i don't remember if they were down a run or two but they, they were either – the time run was either Buxton or the guy coming to the plate, who I think was Sano, and yeah. he gets picked off first base. At that point, you just knew the series was over because, I mean, they're, they're, ESPN was even saying the Twins are showing us nothing offensively. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're one on. opportunity that they have to try to get something going to have a guy on base that can steal bases and is known for stealing bases because of his speed. Gets gets caught sleeping at first base, uh, you know, leading from first base. So that 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 series was over over. But to Houston's credit, uh, garbage pails be damned, this team always finds a way to get the timely hit. Like I did, I completely disagree with Carlos Correa's comments. I understand he's got a they, that team has a huge chip on their shoulder. Whether or not they cheated, we know they cheated. But that team has a huge chip on their shoulder. So I'm sure they wanted to come out and say, hey. Well, we won these two games. We were under 500. You're playing the Twins, so relax. But Houston always just has this niche for getting the timely hit. I mean, how many times over the last few years have we seen Altuve or Correa come up with the big hit? Correa had to go-ahead solo homer in game two without any garbage pails. So I, you can't dismiss the Astros just based off their history, uh, but I do like Oakland in the division series.
0: Yeah, it's and and again now we'll head into the into the Oakland Chicago White Sox series and uh, and then obviously we'll preview a little bit there. Um, you know, this is this is probably this is going to be the second to last series that we will uh, we will talk about um, with obviously uh, Cardinals Padres being the, or actually excuse me Marlins Cubs that I want to end off with, um, fellas. The in three games in three games Oakland, which I did not expect. Uh, Chicago really, really stunk up the bed here, and uh, but they did. You know what? Listen, in game number three, they did out hit Oakland. Uh, you know, uh, twelve hits to eight. Uh, but unfortunately, it was the uh, it was the the pitching that really came through. and really, what I mean, don't get me wrong. Mike Fires really was absolutely abysmal uh, in that in that start uh, where he had. I think he pitched one and two thirds innings, five hits. Uh, A home run, two strikeouts, there really was not much there. Uh, But then on the opposite side, though, it just, it it was, it was obviously, it was the opener, um, and things just didn't really work out well. Uh, Alex Colomay, you know, did, did his job, but unfortunately, you know, right in the middle, right in the middle of the game, things, uh, things started to go downhill, and that's where Sean Murphy uh, became uh, the eventual, or hit the game-winning home run.
1: Well, the problem with the White Sox is the fact that there was just no depth in the rotation outside of Lucas Giolito and Dallas Keuchel. And I think the hope was, was that the White Sox were going to be able to deliver uh, a sweep with Keuchel on the mound. I mean, if you look at the box score from game three, they pretty much ran Johnny Holstaff out there. I mean, they literally had an opener and who I think went one in the third um, and continued and continued just to roll bullpen arms out there. Guys like Aaron Bummer and um, I know their pitcher, uh, their closer, like you said, Joey uh, Alex Colomay went out there for an inning. Um, look, they they led three nothing after three. Uh, Luis Robert had that monster; it was 487 foot home run. Yeah, they led three nothing after three. But kudos to the Oakland Athletics for coming up with some real timely hitting. I mean, Sean Murphy, you said coming into his own. You got that right. I mean, he's a, he was a he was a nine hitter in that lineup. Came yep. out came away with a two strike. Uh, two out, um, not two short, but two out, two run homer to pull the A's right. within one. Um, then the next inning, you had Chad Pinder come up as a pinch hitter um, and deliver a two RBI single with two outs. So credit to the Oakland A's. I mean, I, I still thought the White Sox were going to take game three simply because I just thought they had enough offensive firepower with the A's not having Matt Chapman. But, God, I mean, it wasn't even guys like Matt Olson and – uh, Mark Kuna and guys like that that were coming through and Marcus Semien that were coming through for Oakland. It was their nine hitter, their catcher, uh, who's, you know, like you said, uh, Sean Murphy, who's hitting 444 through two games in the postseason so far and a pinch hitter named uh, Chad Pinder. So Oakland, I mean, they did everything they need. Um, that was necessary to come away with that game three win. They were fantastic offensively. Granted, in game two, Liam Hendricks nearly blew it. Um, Thankfully, Jose Abreu on the first pitch he saw grounded out the other way, and Oakland's advancing. But, uh, I mean, just timely hitting. DeLuca.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, this series was – I kind of expected it to go three. I'm pretty sure I had White Sox in three, but that's not obviously how it went. And you know, it's just—it really did, as you said, Joey. It came down to pitching. And obviously, look, Lucas Giolito threw a gem in Game One. Obviously, that gave the White Sox the edge. But
1: perfect through seven.
2: Yeah, and then just after that, it just seemed like you knew something wasn't right with the White Sox. You know, just they didn't—they didn't get it from Dallas Keiko. They didn't get it from—not
1: quite sure who started yesterday, but. They oh, just—it was an opener, Rob. Yeah, I always, yeah, yeah, I thought they—they they ran their whole bullpen out there. Yeah,
2: I they threw a bullpen game, yeah, which is honestly a bold strategy to throw in an elimination game. Honestly, in my personal opinion, but nonetheless, no I mean, one else.
1: No, they have, they
2: have no depth. That's yeah, no, it's, that, that's a that's a, a flaw in the White Sox system, and it, it you, you saw them kind of. It, it was tough just to, to pick against the White Sox, but at the same time, there was definitely a case for then for you to pick against them just because of how they ended the regular season. I'm pretty sure at one point their magic number to clinch the division was one. And they yeah. literally never got it. They yeah. literally did not win. The Indians ended up sweeping them yep. in a four game set and it they never won the division. Minnesota pulled away and took it. And you 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 just wonder if the White Sox could just do that one thing, they play Houston instead, and then what happened? you don't know but it's just all these what ifs but no yeah props to Oakland for without arguably their best player in Matt Chapman just coming here and well I'm mean, granted they were in their own ballpark so I mean advantage there you, when you play in your own ballpark it makes such a huge difference but they were able to last it all three games and lo and behold they have a they have to go to San Diego and play Houston and I expect that to be a competitive series another another potential Five game series. I, of course, would personally like to see it in less, but that's biased speaking. But <laughs> non-biased speaking, I would like to. I would say you're definitely looking at two five, potential five game sets on the AL side in the division series.
1: Yeah, it, you want to talk about a, and, and I'm going to piggyback off what you're saying, Robin. I didn't mean to cut you there, but um, you want to talk about. Wanting to play your home stadium, is there a team in the playoffs that would want to play at their home stadium more than the New York Yankees would? I mean, if you look at their splits between their home and their road splits, I think they uh, were one hundred fifty percent. Yeah, they were they were twelve games five hundred.
2: What I was worried about, they were twenty one and yeah. nine, I, I believe at home twenty one and seven. Twenty one and seven, right? They only got twenty eight games at home. Yes, yeah, so they were twenty one and seven at home, and then they have that <coughs> they have that road record, and. It was just no good, you know? Yeah. So it was tough. It was tough to see that it was no good, but they came, they came to, they went to Cleveland and they prospered. We
0: spoke about this in the last episode, 11 and 18 on the road, 11 and 18 on the road. The New York Yankees were, and they were 21. The New York Yankees were 21 and seven. It looks like we uh, lost Rob DeLuca for just for a few seconds, but, Eleven and eighteen on the road, twenty-one and seven at Yankee Stadium. Really, really, really crazy stuff. But again, we'll we'll uh, we'll get to the Yankees again later on. But uh, Ian, while while we wait for uh, for Rob here, um, you know, I, I think the biggest thing here is is that um, and we and we and we have to discuss this because I praised the Cincinnati Reds for a quite a long time. And uh, and uh, you know, really, really tough, tough spot, and uh, they 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 really let me down. And uh, Reza Iglesias in game number two really let me
1: down. You really want to get into this series, huh? <laughs> you really, really want to talk Reds Braves, huh? Listen, let me, th- <laughs> let me say uh, I mean, look. Look, I mean, what I could say about the Reds Braves series is. Game one was Cincinnati's opportunity to jump all over this series. Trevor Bauer was absolutely brilliant. Um, I was working from home on Wednesday and had a chance to watch just about every single inning of that game. Um, and I believe what the final score was in 12 or in 13 innings. Uh, this The Cincinnati Reds had multiple chances to get to that Braves bullpen. Max Fried pitched really well, but had multiple ch- – and even had chances to get on to Max Fried in the first inning and didn't score. Uh, but – Multiple opportunities. I think in the ninth, the tenth, the eleventh, had the bases loaded, had second and third, had first and third with either nobody out or one out, and could not scratch across a run. And I and if, if anybody was following on Twitter when I when um, I retweeted uh, the picks that we've shown uh, throughout the show so far, yeah. And said if Trevor Bauer can't put it together, now look, Trevor Bauer put it together. I should have said if the Cincinnati Reds can't put it together with Trevor Bauer on the mound in Game One. This series is probably going to be over, and so be it. Uh, the, the series was over in two. Now,
0: just to just to elaborate on what you were talking about with Trevor Bauer, he in game number one, mm-hmm. two thirds innings pitched, grand total of two hits, but how many strikeouts? He had twelve strikeouts. Yep. Uh, he was flawless. Uh, the game was scoreless through thirteen innings. That was the uh, longest, and this is a little bit of history. Longest postseason extra innings game that was scoreless, uh, which really is, uh, is is a pretty cool stat because I honestly yeah. would never think that zero zero the thirteenth inning has never happened before in a playoff game. But hey, listen, twenty twenty comes with uh, brand new uh, brand new things. And well,
1: the part has- about the Reds that I thought that they where they should have capitalized was I, I believe it was in the eleventh inning where Vado was on second, right. With I think it was with one out, otherwise they would have sent them. Uh, the third base coach would have sent him. But uh, Eugenio Suarez, who was 0 for 4 at that point in the game, singles through the left side. And at this point, you've done. I mean, you've put uh, runners on base. And keep in mind, here's a here's another stat for the for the, for everyone that's watching. The Cincinnati Reds had the lowest batting average in Major League Baseball this year with runners on base. Either that or the second lowest. Um, so you're abysmal with driving runners in. You have a runner in scoring position. You have the momentum now. Suarez puts one through the left side, and they stop Votto at third. At that point, listen, I'm a, I'm a advocate for not running – an advocate, I should say, for not running yourself out of an inning. I, I, I hate it when it happens. I see it so much as a Mets fan. But when you haven't been able to scratch across anything through the regular season or in the postseason yet in terms of being clutch – you got to send Votto there, whether he's going to run like he's got a piano on his back or not. You got to try and score a run there. If you get if you get thrown out of the inning, so what? At this point, at least you you tr- you took a shot. You tried to get the the uh, left fielder to make a perfect throw. That didn't happen. They get Mustakis for the final out, and then the Braves end up winning on the Freeman single in the thirteenth. But in that situation, when you when you just struggle to score with runners on base, you got to take a chance at some point, and the, and the Reds did not.
2: Yeah, Ian, I couldn't agree more. I mean, look, that that game, uh, I was I was actually at ABC for that one, uh, watching it on ESPN, and just to, I was like, I was like, you know what? At this, I literally said it a couple times. I was like, this ge- this game and the Reds are clearly cursed right now because I do not understand how you have eleven hits in the game and don't score a single run. That just is mind-ba. Bo- uh, that is a mind-boggling stat to me to be in the double digits on the hit category but have a goose egg on the run side of the scoreboard. It's, uh, it was just unbelievable. And then it just too many blown chances by the Reds, and that's when you, you kind of had to know at that point that the Braves are going to take that series. And, of course, who else but Freddie Freeman to be the hero in game one and set the tone in what was clearly going to be a defensive series.
0: Yeah, really, really unbelievable to see what the deal was. And then, of course, in game number two, uh, things were working out decently. Luis Castillo, it was okay. But then once Reza Iglesias got into the game, um, he he, he, he hit let up two home runs in a third of an inning pitched, two hits, four runs, three of them were earned, two walks, a strikeout. And as I did say at the start of that, top, of, of that sentence, two home runs led up. And that was really it guys. Um, you know, uh, Cincinnati really had no answer for Atlanta and Atlanta can finally say now that maybe some of their playoff demons in this, in this previous decade are now maybe behind them. Maybe they've left them in the, uh, in the 2010 decade, who knows? We will see what's going to happen, but now it's going to be Braves and the Marlins. We'll get to that later on guys. Um, American League, National League, um, for the ALNLDS that is uh, on its way. What is the most intriguing matchup that we see here thus far? Obviously, Cardinals, Padres are still going, but they're the only series that's left.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, there, there might be a little bias here, but also, look, this is the this. And look, this might be even a little bit of a bold take. The new rival, the the new hot rivalry of the AL East is probably the most intriguing matchup here. And yes, I just said that. With the Boston Red Sox the way they are right now, Yankees Red Sox is no longer a uh, exciting rivalry at the moment. The Yankees went nine in one against them this season, and the nine wins were with ease. the t- The loss was an easy win for the Red Sox playing they were playing spoiler, and they they managed to do the job there, prevent us from clinching. And but in the in the end, that's not what happened. The Yankees obviously ended up getting a spot, but still, nevertheless, the way the Red Sox are right now, that's that's not competitive baseball. I don't I I don't even know if you could call what they were playing baseball half the time. But but nonetheless, yeah, the new rivalry of the AL East right now, Yankees Rays should make for a great five game set. But, you know, but I mean, hey, look, Astros athletics is also a division rivalry series and as is Marlins Braves. You know, right now we're just looking at division rival versus division rival, especially if the Padres managed to pull off the victory tonight. Then you've got Dodgers Padres. It could just be a plethora of rivalry throughout the rest of the playoffs.
1: I'm actually struggling a little bit as to say which which um, I'm actually going to go to the National League. And say, I think that actually has the, and this is um, contingent on the Padres winning, um, has the more intriguing matchups of the of the two leagues. Listen, I think Yankees Rays is going to be a solid series, but Dodgers Padres to me is, is is the one series that if the Padres do advance, stands out to me. You've got one of the best pitching teams and in, in term and also hitting teams in baseball going up against another powerful. Obviously, they play each other played each other ten times this season uh, as division opponents, but Dodgers Padres, I mean. The mashing of, bat, of bats in both those lineups would be so much fun to watch. Cody Bellinger, Mookie Betts, Corey Seager going up against Fernando Tatis, Jake Cronenworth, Eric Cosmer, Will Myers. It just – it, it, it seems like like what we saw in the Yankees-Indians Indians game two last night is what we would see in that best of five the whole way through. Oh, yeah. I mean – I'm praying just for, for for the sake of the San Diego Padres if they do advance tonight that they it, it does not look like Mike Clevenger is going to be ready for even for the division series. They're not even so sure if he's going to be ready for the postseason, but that they get Dinos and Lamet back. Chris Paddock is an absolute dumpster fire. I, I, I'm I, I don't under, I didn't understand. You know I'm I'm you know I'm not going. I don't want to bring the Mets into this conversation, but when well, that whole. Rivalry between him and Pete Alonso. Uh, yeah, I'll be better than Alonso, dude. Dude, your your ERA is like a six, and then you got sent down to the minor leagues to work on your mechanics last year because you couldn't you couldn't do it. So I, I remember I texted you, Joey, and I was like, "Oh man, the fact that Paddock is starting game one." <laughs> and, then, and then and then and then of course right on cue, I think the Cardinals scored what five runs in the first two innings. Shock. Yeah. So course, I mean. He scored four runs in the first inning and two in the third. Oh, excuse me, six. <laughs> so um, they need their starting pitching back. I mean, if not, I think the uh, the Dodgers are going to have a much easier time mashing against the Padres starting pitching than, than maybe so much the Padres mashing against guys like Walker Buehler. Can Kershaw finally get off? you know, uh, the pine, so to speak, with regards to his postseason struggles, Dustin Mays, another pitcher that throws really hard. So, uh, I mean, in terms of the edge, the Dodgers certainly have the edge right now in terms of starting pitching, but I think that's going to make for a fun series. But don't count out Braves Marlins as a re- as, as like a 1A to that series because, look, the Marlins sh- shocked me. I mean, somehow the Cubs did not find a way to hit against a team that was running th- – Maybe not three rookies, but Alcantara was there last year, but more or less three rookies, at least three newbies to the postseason, and they didn't even need to get to a third game. They actually swept them in two. Javi Baez, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo all couldn't perform against that that pitching. The bullpen was sensational for Miami, and we know Atlanta struggles in the postseason, so I would consider that Braves-Marlins series to be a – I'm actually even more excited for that series just because – That can – for a team like Atlanta that has their postseason struggles and the Marlins, who seem to be the Cinderella story of the year, and I sure hope Don Mattingly is the National League Manager of the Year. He certainly seems like the front runner for it. Uh, That series could easily go three, and I could see Miami actually taking that series and representing in the National League Championship Series. I'm not guaranteeing it. It's going to happen, but right now they are getting – Great pitching and timely hitting. I mean, they're kind of in the same ballpark right now with Oakland. And the thing is, is that when you compare those two teams, there's no comparison. Oakland's a much better team. But somehow the Marlins are finding a way to put it together after what? The first two weeks of the season, they played one game and then were sidelined for COVID-19 for two weeks. I mean, it's going to be – it's already some story, and I'm curious to see how much further it goes.
0: You know, it's very funny that you bring up – uh, with my, the Miami Marlins because they also clinched the wild card series this afternoon. Yep. Without Starling Marte, their, one of their, if not oh. their best player, with a brush. So I think that that without him and with Sixto Sanchez, uh, you know, really 98, 99, 100 miles an hour, doing just being lights out. And on top of it, too, hearing on the broadcast, too, that the Chicago Cubs were one of the worst teams with the heater is uh, this whole season, 98 and above. Um, their batting average was way, way down, like in the low 200s. Uh, it just showed, and, it, and the writing was all over it, um, that, that, the, that, that the Marlins would be able to upset. And guess what, fellas? the three of us all chose the Cubbies to win, but Tyler Adele, actually. Uh, yeah, I
1: was going to say, good credit to Tyler. He got and,
0: it. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell you right now, it, it, that was 100% a guess. Um, <laughs> that was 100% a guess. But uh, but going back with the Padres and with the Dodgers, guys, mm-hmm. uh, I think the biggest thing here is if, if the Padres do come out and win, uh, again, this is going to be, the, for however long, the Padres are in this. is going to be the pitching this evening. Craig Stammon is making a spot start, or he's going to be an opener for the first time since 2010. So now, obviously, th- you know, for, for his sake, right now, it's still zero zero. Top of the third. Um, right now, the Padres, and uh, and not only that, but also Craig Stammon. Uh, he, he, it looks like that they're just going, they're, they're going piece by piece here.
1: Uh, Craig Stanford. Joey did announce that if that after game two, that they did not feel comfortable running a starter out there for game three, that they felt that they were going to run a bullpen game out there for game three. So that announcement had come already. Yeah, from Padres in advance of game
0: period. Well, that's fair, but still, again, regardless of whatever it is, what if you know that again? That puts a lot of pressure on your starters. Monday, sure. sure. but the good thing though is is that you still do have technically uh, two days, two full days off, uh, where these guys would be able to get some rest, which is uh, which is a good thing. But again, now is going to be the hardest part when it's going to be five consecutive days. Uh, of play uh, for the ALDS. And then directly we go into the LCS. So I think there is, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's like eight or nine straight days of of baseball being played. Um, And again, not a single off day. So we also do not know um, the times, uh, you know, all television times are to be determined. So we could see a day game. We could, I mean, I don't think so, but again, you never know with some of these um, low profitable teams, we could be seeing a Uh, a a two o'clock, three o'clock start on ABC, similar to the Cubbies.
1: We don't see like a four, like, like, uh, I mean, this is going to be pretty much like traditional programming, like it would be in any division series. I think we'll see like a 4 p.m. and eight. Like, so in the American League, yeah, like the Oakland A's are probably going to start 1 p.m. Pacific time, 4 p.m. East because Oakland and the White Sox are not going to draw the ratings. The Yankees are. So they'll put all the Oakland games on at four and put the Yankee games on at eight. Yeah, no, absolutely, and, and the same would apply with like the Dodgers and 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 yeah, the Braves. Yeah. like, like yeah. you know, the Dodgers and Padres. If that's how it ends up, would be the even the Dodgers in themselves that they play the Cardinals would be the premier game over Braves, Marlins. So again, it would be the Dodgers getting the late game and the
2: uh, yeah, the- it's, and yeah, yeah, it's all contingent on these time zones now because you you got or, they're out west, yeah, they're out west. Uh, so anything uh, would be, hey, uh, here would be five o'clock there, so.
1: Yeah, but the National League is playing in, in the Texas, which is, in,
2: which is central time. So, right.
1: yeah, so, so 40, yeah, they, they started like what two o'clock or three o'clock. Yeah. Uh, and then technically, I guess six o'clock, but yeah, right. everything everything it runs off Eastern time when it comes to pretty much. I mean, look. Exactly. Football, the Super Bowl is started every year at six twenty six, even if it's played in California. And, and the Super Bowl, sure, yeah, three,
2: three, three, three o'clock start. must be nice over there on the west yeah, at yeah, Three o'clock start on on the Super Bowl. You still got you still got your whole day ahead of you even after the big game ends.
0: <laughs> um, you know, you guys talking over each other. It's 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 really it's really unbelievable. Like, what 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 are you guys doing? You guys are talking over each other. You can't. <laughs>
2: What do you guys hey, do along with a little bantering, Joey? That's all. That's hey, hey oh, it's, wow. it's it's a banter. It's open. To, this is open discussion. This isn't we're not doing. We're not going debate style here. Two minutes uninterrupted.
0: Let me tell you something, uh, Deluca. I have no problem with it, but Adam Gase does have a problem
3: with it. Oh, okay? no problem wow. story, no.
0: And he's got a little bit of a problem. He's got a little bit of a problem with the uh, you know everyone going crazy here. And, uh, you know, just to conclude with baseball, Dusty Baker becomes the first manager ever to lead five different teams to the postseason. Really good stuff. The Marlins made the playoffs for the first time in 2006, uh, since 2016. Really cool stuff. Um, and then also, let's not forget, um, as well as uh, the Cubs, even though they're not here anymore, uh, they did clinch their first NL Central title since 2017. That all means bupkis right now, but uh, <laughs> those are a couple of the stats that I wanted to bring up. So we brought up uh, Adam Geese just a few minutes ago, so it's the perfect segue into NFL. And, uh, you know, again, last night, guys, um, you know, first we'll actually start with week number three. We'll recap a few of those games, and Ian texted me about it about an hour and a half ago regarding – my Lord and savior in Nick Foles. And that is who we are going to start off with because uh, Nick Foles um, is really a savior, uh, not only in Philadelphia, but also in Chicago, because let's not forget guys uh, Chicago and uh, Atlanta 26 to 10 was the score. And that is the new 28 to three. For Atlanta fans, uh, 26 to 10 is uh, is now going to be the score that could potentially be written all over um, Dan Quinn's departure when it does happen. It won't be an if, it will be a when, because clearly he cannot hold leads. And it even goes back to the Super Bowl. Nick Foles does not matter. It, he's a backup quarterback. Does not matter about what he's done. He's been on the bench. He had no preseason, and he comes back and scores uh, all of those unanswered points and now will be the aforementioned starter for the Bears uh, supplanting uh, Mitch Trubisky, the former number two overall pick in the year that Patrick Mahomes uh, was picked later on in the draft. Um I don't even know what to say to this because it's 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 an, it's a never ending story with Atlanta how they just keep blowing games. Do you,
1: I saw a stat on ESPN after after the games that ended in week three, and it showed the win probability. For the Atlanta Falcons, um, and Rob, Rob's like, go ahead, take it. I, I know. Yeah,
2: go, right ahead. No, go right ahead, please.
1: I, I'm ready to use the win probability was high enough week two against Dallas. I believe it was their their win probability when they had the lead they did um, was I believe 98.2 percent of winning that game. 26 to 10 against the Chicago Bears. Their win probability in that game at that point of the game was like 99.3. So there was a – at that time, there was a – when Trubisky got pulled for Foles, there was a 0.7% chance the Bears were going to win that game. Look, jumping onto the Chicago train here, listen, I am not jumping on their bandwagon by any means. I am certainly happy for Nick Foles um, that he's out of Philly. I'm, I'm sorry, Joey, and <laughs> now, now that he's in Chicago. But I don't understand at all how the Bears are 3-0. If you've watched their first three games, it, it, I am <laughs> – I don't have a word to describe it because they shouldn't be 3-0. and They could very easily be 0-3 right now. Um, do I think the attitude with this team is going to change a little bit uh, with respect to – I mean, they should have lost to the Lions. They probably should have lost to the Giants. They should have lost last week to Atlanta. So they should be 0-3, okay? Um, I'm, I was looking at their schedule earlier. They And if things keep progressing the way they did in the fourth quarter with Nick Foles – now I see them as a potential playoff team. It's incredible for me to even say that, that as a potential playoff team, the Chicago Bears, a team, the weakest 3-0 team right now in football. I mean, I would say definitely the weakest. I think the second weakest 3-0 team is the Steelers, and maybe we'll get to them later. But with with Chicago, I mean, I was looking at their schedule. They have so many. I mean, I don't think they're going to outlast Green Bay for the division by any stretch, any stretch at all. I think Green Bay's at this point is going to run away with the division. But I don't think the Bears and Packers meet up till about week 10 or week 11. So we got a little while for that. But they've got so many favorable games on their schedule um, coming up. So I, with, and now the fact that the NFC and the AFC are going to have a seven seed. So you have an additional playoff team being added on both sides. I don't see how Chicago doesn't get into the playoffs at this point. Full seems like the answer, at least offensively for this team, a team that is struggling on both sides of the football. But Somehow they're three and zero. I think they are the weakest three and zero team in football. And I'll let Rob take it from here.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, look, the, the, this just proves Nick Foles is like some sort of godsend from, from the football gods because this is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> the, the Bears are three and zero. Yeah, let's 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 break down fourth quarter. The Bears are up, or the Lions, excuse me, are up by three scores. The the Lions beat the completely collapse on themselves. Their defense beats themselves, and the Bears win the game. They play the Giants next week. They blow them out in the first half, 17-0. They forget to come back and play in the second half, but the Giants don't get the final touchdown on the final play of the game, an incomplete pass. So by the nip of their – by the tiniest little margin, the Bears escape and go to 2-0. And then the Falcon – and then Nick Foles comes in, and lead, charges a 17-point comeback plus to win the game against the Falcons. And, look, the Falcons are cursed. They are just cursed at this point. Back-to-back back weeks of blown leads at, with probabilities in the 98%, 99% range. Unacceptable <laughs> to find a way to lose these games. And the Falcons found a way to lose these games. They are 0-3. And it is Dan Quinn's time has got got to be coming to an end. This is just torture at this point for Falcons fans. This has to stop.
0: And it's twice and it's twice and it's back to back weeks as well, uh, which really is is beyond a shame because uh, from what what we see is is that we're clearly seeing, um beyond collapse I don't know I'm assuming he's lost the locker room I have no idea um and I mean, I mean not
1: offensively Joey I mean if you look at the look at score I'm not sure how many in terms of scoring I think they're top 10 in the NFL right now they're out there no, 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 no.
3: no short, Matt Ryan. they're not they're not
1: I don't think Dan Quinn is losing the locker room per se I mean you look at I think he's losing the doing, side of it. what Calvin Ridley's doing I mean, even with a bum knee, Todd Gurley is kind of tr- chugging along. Yeah, the they're, doing it,
2: they're, they're scoring all these points without Julio Jones. But <laughs> that's, the, that's the weirdest thing is they're doing this without Julio Jones. But the defense cannot stop anything. Yeah, not only,
0: not only can they not stop anything, it is not a good thing for, um, for Atlanta, again, to have it back-to-back. Uh, on back-to-back weeks, where you are, you're not performing well on defense. On offense, you said it. Both of you said it. On offense, they're both they're they're doing great. But this is a bad look from a defensive coordinator, uh, now head coach in Dan Quinn. If he ever wants another D coordinator job, this is a humongous bad look because really, you're the head coach. I get you have a ton of responsibility. But who's calling the plays on the defensive side of on the defensive side of things? And on top of it too. I'm not sure. And, and not only not only that. That's it's it's really a shame to see with what is going on uh, in Atlanta because at one point they were in the Super Bowl, they had the game in the bag, and then they blew it. Just like how they blew the last two weeks in terms of Nick Foles. Listen. We've seen this multiple times. We saw it last year. Okay, double doink against former Eagle Cody Parkey in uh, in the wild card game. He was a slip away from going to the NFC Championship game if Sean Jeffery would catch that football. Okay? He also led the team back when Carson – t- sorry, two years ago. Two years ago. I'm, I'm really off of my time. But two years ago, two seasons ago. He was close enough to get the team to the playoffs. He didn't have a good, show, a couple of good showings in the uh, in, in the final in the final. I think it was one or two games, but overall, he got the team to where they needed to get to, which was the divisional round, and they couldn't they, they couldn't get past that. But he and he won the Super Bowl a, a few years, uh, the three years ago. Okay, as a backup, and then back in 2013 with Chip Kelly, he had, I think it was like 27, 27 touchdowns, zero interceptions in a span, in a ridiculous span. We've seen it before, and not only that, we've also seen it in a system with Andy Reid, okay? Matt Nagy is a disciple of Andy Reid. Regardless of it being a, this is the weakest 3-0 team, I don't know, fellas. This team has Khalil Mack. This team has a pretty damn good dif- defensive core. And if everything can go right, regardless of losing Tariq Cohn, and also I think David Montgomery, he's a little banged up. But if we can start seeing the Nick Foles of old,
3: I, mean, um, we already did.
0: I,
1: we I don't think – I mean, unless Nick Foles turns out to be this – reclamation project I'm not and obviously he's a Super Bowl champion so he has that capability but unless he becomes this reclamation project that is going to you know that we're going to take the Atlanta game and now we're going to stretch that over 14 more games and he's going to become an MVP candidate and I'm not saying he has to be let me let me slow that down I'm not saying he has to be at the stage of an MVP candidate but if he's going to become one of the best quarterbacks in football or I would say even an above average quarterback in football for the, over the next 14 games, maybe we can have that discussion. I mean, I, I look, I said it already, Joey. I mean, I think at three and zero right now with who's left on their schedule, I think they can be a playoff team. I'm not so sure they get any further than the first round, but uh, look, I got to see a lot more out of Nick Foles. Like uh, you're right. They do have a, a, a solid defense, but offensively, there's still a lot of question marks right now with that team. They seem like they have the right quarterback in the pocket right now, maybe to get the most out of that offense, especially a wide receiver right now that's very unhappy with that front office and Allen Robinson. So, I mean, look, they've got a game coming up this week against the Colts, where I actually do like Chicago to win. So, I think they could even start out four zero. Let's see. Let's see what happens this weekend. Yeah, I completely
0: agree. I really do believe that, and it's not. And again, it's there, I wouldn't be saying this if we haven't seen it not once, but we've seen it not only twice, but we've also seen it three times. Could three times be the charm? Could we see it a fourth time? Listen, we no one no one thought, and I know for a fact Rob DeLuca was the one to say that's it. Carson Wentz goes down against the LA Rams in the Coliseum. They ain't going nowhere. And I remember I was head down, it was a great year, 13 and 3. Yeah, g- good stuff, and it wouldn't come to fruition. And then against the Falcons, they played horribly then we know what happened the rest of the way. He's got it. He can do it. Could he do it with this set of players and the coaching staff and with some, again, disagreements between his number one wide receiver and the front office? We don't know. But as of right now, again, just looking at the schedule, they have the Colts, they have the Bucks, they have uh, the Panthers, uh, out of all three of those games, two of which, in my opinion, excluding the Bucs, I believe, are completely winnable.
1: 100%. I think that the Carolina Panthers, and I was going to jump on this when we were talking about the Falcons. I think the Carol. I don't even think the Falcons are the worst team in their division. I think the Carolina Panthers, I mean, maybe by record, the Falcons right now are the worst team in the division. The Carolina Panthers, I mean, look, I was all for the Giants bringing on Matt rule as their head coach. And, and look, they had Christian McCaffrey week one. I was not impressed with them. I was, I mean, look, they had a fourth and one in week one against the Las Vegas Raiders at home and Matt rule with an all pro probably the best running back entering the season in all of football and hands the ball to his fullback. So look, okay. You want to say it's growing pains. It's week one. I have not been a fan right now through, with Matt Rule three games in whatsoever. And I think by the end of this season, the Falcons may even be the second best team in their division. I think that they might even be know, or second offensively, offense. offensively, especially once they get Julio back, they might even be better than the Saints are right now. So I, I just saw Rob's face like, is he kidding? Is he really? Wow. Yeah, I think offense, offensively, I think they actually right now have more capability than the Saints do right now. Because we don't know how long Michael Thomas is going to be out. Drew Brees can, clearly cannot get the ball downfield the way he could. I mean, it, it's been crystal clear. You, we, we've watched the first three games that they've played. Brees is, is, is throwing 10-yard possession throws. You, you can see the arm strength is not there anymore. So I wouldn't be surprised. No. I I'm, I'm not going to totally disagree with you Ian, because you know what
2: you know who who was just a pro, who was just under Drew Brees not not one season ago the Panthers current quarterback. 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 He lear- he literally learned from one of the best. Right. In the entire history of the game. Right. Oh you, know, you, you you make a good point there. If the, if if Matt Rule can figure this out, which honestly I never wanted him to begin with and I'm at the, at this current moment I've certainly sur- Granted what the Giants are Owens oh, free, but still right. no, I'm not ex- I'm not exactly impressed with how Matt Rule has done things.
1: No, I mean and I'm not even saying that the Panthers I think could overtake I'm thinking the Falcons could actually, if they can finally get it get together. Oh, yeah. Think about it. Aside from the Seattle game, they should be two and one. Oh, I, I agree. Two one right now they're
2: tied two with two base the but here's here's the here's the thing, and I don't know if Joy may have it in the rundown or not, if you were going to talk about the worst or the biggest disappointment. Through three weeks, was that on the agenda there, Joey? Go ahead. Because <laughs> look, look, the, the biggest disappointment, in my opinion, goes to the Minnesota Vikings. Oh, Where man. did this zero and three start come from? They that's lost. That. They that lost they that and that's it. I,
1: I will tell you right now, Rob, that look, we we said this on on the primetime rundown last week that when we did and I did this whole Hopkins Diggs comparison and oh, I thought, and I thought that the Houston Texans with the receivers that they had and bringing in David Johnson and I know we have the Texans on on the format for later and I'm sorry to keep jumping around here Joey. That's okay. I I think losing Stefan Diggs was the one of the biggest losses of a key player to a team yeah. in the offseason much bigger right now in my opinion than DeAndre Hopkins simply because Adam Thielen is a slot receiver. He's not a deep threat. Look, Justin Jefferson finally showed why the Vikings drafted him last week. There's no question about that. I mean, what, 180 yards, two touchdowns, or whatever his numbers were last week. Uh, You know, the stud wide receiver coming out of LSU. They are missing digs terribly, terribly. And they're stacking the box against Dalvin Cook. Cook is still getting his yards, but they are playing much tighter because they know Thielen only really runs 10, 15-yard routes. They really don't have to watch too much behind them. I mean, now you've got to put Justin Jefferson on your scouting report, but that is why right now – look, I said last week, Kirk Cousins is one of the most overrated quarterbacks in all of football. He did not deserve a cent of that almost fully guaranteed contract, and now it's showing why. I think Diggs was a huge loss probably one of the most important losses in the offseason, and now it's showing Kirk Cousins for who he really is.
2: Joey, I apologize for going off topic there, but just discussing all that mediocrity, I feel that we couldn't go through all this mediocrity and not bring them up because they have by far just shocked the world with this poor start.
0: It's true, and especially after after getting uh, Yannick Ngakwe as well, where this team, they thought that really it could be put over the top just by solidifying that solid defensive line, and really the defense has not really—they haven't shown up much either. Yannick and Gakway—he's done—he's done his part, uh, but other than that, really has not been much. Anthony Barr was put on the shelf uh, with. Uh, yeah, he's he's gone. Uh, I think on the injured reserve, he's out for the year. So that is a humongous, humongous blow to their uh, to their defensive core, as Perfect. well. Again, as you're losing a veteran in Everson Griffin. Um, you know, there there may have been things that he was able to do in the locker room, on the field, etc. That they are missing too, that we are not getting those reports from yet. So we don't. Well, I will
1: tell you this whatever Everson Griffin is doing in Dallas is not working. So, right. um, you know, that's there. That is. That is mean, I mean, look, Russell Wilson just put 40 points on you. I'm not. I mean, look, we Everson Griffin, when Minnesota let him go, I mean, yeah, you were certainly letting a veteran of that locker room go. It was, but they had to move on. Obviously, you got a younger player, a more. Um, up, I wouldn't say up and coming, but a pro bowler in Yannick Ngakwe, who was younger and was ready to fill that void, and the Vikings have just looked terrible, terrible, and losing Bar is huge.
0: Yeah, absolutely, especially when they rely on those uh, on those uh, linebackers extremely uh, throughout their uh, throughout the play calling. Let's keep it moving here, fellas, as we do have about another half hour left here on the Primetime Rundown, episode number thirty-five. We are live on Zingo Television Channel 199 on Blackjack TV tonight. I-95 Sports Network has uh, Elmwood Park High School football out in New Jersey. If you want them, please tune in uh, to Channel 198 on Zingo Television. Uh, But otherwise, it's uh, myself, Ian Schreier, Rob DeLuca, all here on Blackjack Television and the Blackjack Media Group. We cannot thank you enough for joining us here on this Friday evening, 8.28 here on the East Coast um guys I think something that needs to be discussed here and uh I think and we have to start with Ian because this is this is just this is this is something that I really thought about a lot this week and it was Houston and Pittsburgh and uh, and, and listen let me tell you something
1: listen I'm telling you right now I do not want to spend 31 minutes talking about Deshaun Watson
0: let me tell you something Deshaun (laughs) Deshaun Watson the offensive line, I think we I think we have we have come down with this. The offensive line is horrid. We've got that. Yeah. Yes. Deshaun Watson, just Deshaun Watson sacked third and I and I literally, I swear to God, for all the viewers that are out there, <laughs> I have a half a page just on Deshaun Watson because I needed to make sure <laughs> my argument. With Ian on this one. So let me let, let, let me read my let me read my half page here. So Deshaun Watson has been sacked a total of 13 times. He's thrown four touchdowns. He's also thrown three interceptions. His longest throw is 38 yards. Let's not forget Brandon Cooks, a I think he's ranked in the 20s in receivers with 18 total targets. That is the highest target rate on the Texans themselves. The Texans' defense to opposing quarterbacks, they allow a a completion rating of 70.7%. Their rushing defense is ranked 31st. Their passing is ranked 20th. They have four total passing touchdowns, Fuller, Cobb, Aikens, and then three total rushing touchdowns, two from David Johnson and one from Deshaun Watson. And they are also they have allowed 13 total sacks, which is ranked number two in the NFL. Guys, um, I, I think I think this is time to say that not only is Deshaun Watson missing DeAndre Hopkins, but also it's very clear that th- he's just not getting enough time inside in the pocket. He's not getting enough, time. he's not it's not working. Things aren't working in Houston right now. It's and
1: that's funny. why they're 0 on three. Well, let me ask you this, Joey. You're, are you alluding to the fact that it's Deshaun Watson's fault that they're zero three, or are you alluding to? It seemed more that obviously you're alluding to the fact, and so that the, the players around Deshaun Watson are failing him. Um, and so, what I'm going to say is this, um, and I'm and I'm and I'm going to defend Deshaun Watson because he deserves it because. Did, do, do you have it on your notes that, that the fact that statistically in week three, this past week's game against the Pittsburgh Steelers, that he actually had his best game yet of the season? He did. He yeah. Did. Yes, he yeah. did for sure. He was in, in, in completion percentage yeah. and QBR. He, he was, And his team led 14-3 to from the onset of the game and 21-10 at the half. So – You can, but again, now, but
0: now we have to look at the defensive side of the ball, and they can't do their job. So
1: that it's that, it's that, but also, how about the fact that I believe the Steelers sacked Deshaun Watson five or six times in the second half. So if if you're getting forced into second and longs, third and longs, because you're getting sacked every possession, because your offensive line, I think the the highest graded Pro Football Focus rating on the on their offensive line, like. And I think on Tunsil after week three was like 73.3. I mean, right. that, that's, I mean, that's okay. But I mean, if, if you're going lower than that for the rest of the line, you've got a serious problem. Right. Um, and as a result, because they couldn't get their running game going again, start David Johnson, only 23 rushing yards. They became one dimensional and Pittsburgh with a great pass rush that they have. Cause I, I have major questions about them offensively. Uh, but the pass rush that they do have was continually getting to Watson. Like I said, five or six sacks in the second half. And it, it just blew up in their face. And then one huge interception by Watson is one real big mistake of the game led to the go-ahead touchdown run by James Conner. Yeah. So uh, in the end, Pittsburgh's defense is the reason that they're 3-0. and But uh, look, I, last week I said that Deshaun had to find a way to do a little more. And I didn't. And even with this offensive line, because of the talent that he possesses. And look, that's why I'm defending him this week. He came out. He had a great game. He had his best game of the season. His quarterback rating the first two games was in the 80s. His quarterback rating, I believe, this past week was 110. So vast improvement. No offensive line. No running game. And you come out and you put out a performance like that. So yeah, I'm gonna come out and to your to your credit, Joey, defend Deshaun because he actually had a good game. They still didn't come out on top because of their because of the other issues they have around the team. But after two weeks, when we discussed last week, I still had major issues with Deshaun Watson because of, like I said, the talent that he possesses.
0: Well, that's the whole thing because right now, as of week four, and of as of about I think a few hours ago when I wrote this down, ninety three point eight is the uh, passer rating in in whole for Deshaun Watson. Um, not bad. Ben Roethlisberger is at 105.2. Um, but as you, as you alluded to earlier with the rushing yards and David Johnson being one-dimensional, 134 total rushing yards, uh, but also something that I have written up top here, it says underlined offensive line is horrid. Um, and really, that is the bottom line here, and I think that that's that's the biggest thing. David Johnson has been not only one dimensional, d- dimensional, but also completely invisible. He has not been able to do his job. And Deshaun Watson, and and just to and just to go back to your point a few weeks ago, Ian, where you were saying how Deshaun Watson, you know, just because he had the security blanket in uh, DeAndre Hopkins, he now sure. needs to find ways to be able um, to figure certain things out uh, and to be able to get um, to get well, these guys up to speed. Randall Cobb, Brandon Cooks, again, who's been nowhere. Will Fuller, another one who's oft injured, has he's been there, but they've been
1: invisible. Well, let me make let me make a good comparison for you for for you and Rob. Okay, one's a Super Bowl champion, one's not. Would the both of you put the in terms of his performance on the field, put Deshaun Watson, take the Super Bowl out of it. Put Deshaun Watson in the same conversation as Russell Wilson. Okay, it's tough. Uh, No, that's 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 a question. Uh, you know, it's. It, 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 about the protection the last few years that Russell Wilson is, or the lack thereof of offensive line line protection that Russell Wilson has had in Seattle, and he still. I think uh, both of them have incredible skills, incredible mobile skills. And I'm not saying that that Deshaun Watson should be rushing for 120 yards. No. But somehow, Russell Wilson finds a way to make it work. What's, I mean, and in my opinion, before we knew who DK Metcalf was, and before Greg Olson, I guess, who's refining his form a little bit in Seattle, who besides Tyler Lockett over the last few years has Russell Wilson been throwing the ball to? I would say that. Deshaun Watson over the last take even the DeAndre Hopkins out of the equation has had much better targets to throw to than Russell Wilson has over the last couple of years.
0: It's tough to say also because you have to look at you have to look at some of those targets. And again, a guy like their num their their supposed to number two and Will Fuller is never on the field. So when you're when you keep on practicing with your first team and you know Will Fuller is usually a part of it, and then all of a sudden he can't play. He's concussed. He has uh, he has a torn ACL, he has whatever the case is. Well, then you also lose rhythm too. And as we did say, and, and we did speak about this in you know in previous weeks too, is that it is so difficult when there's no preseason. these guys are brand new. Will Fuller is always hurt. Brandon Cooks is, is, is a walking zombie because he's just continuously concussed. But also, then again, you, you, okay, you, you have one touchdown to a guy named Aikens. Randall Cobb has, has another one, too, who was your big money signing. Um, it, again, just by looking at these numbers, again, the, the lead rusher um, – or, or sorry, the,
3: the,
0: the, the lead catcher, um, Randall Cobb, Will Fuller, 95 yards, four targets, a, total, a combined total of nine targets. Uh, you also have Kenny Stills, too, who really has not done anything either
1: those well, i think it's only like the at this point i mean if, they, if their receivers are healthy it's basically the fifth option
0: listen on paper on paper they're fantastic when it comes they're, they're they they have an abundance of wide receivers on paper when they're healthy but and and also keep in mind too would be um the uh what's the word i'm looking for the the chemistry between all of these guys who, Again, it's a revamped system. It's a revamped um, uh, wide receiver core, completely revamped. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I just don't. I think that the way it is clearly is that again. I, I also think that we have not seen also since Deshaun Watson tore his ACL two years ago. Uh, we have not seen the same Deshaun Watson that we saw when he was a rookie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, we have not look, seen the same. His, no, his, he, he, his, mob, his mobility is there, but it l- still looks to me as if that there are sometimes some hesitations.
2: Absolutely. And look, yeah, Ian, to your, to your main question, he could be there, but he's, he's not there right now. But he can get there. We all know he has the capability to get there. That's what he got paid for. He was paid because they know he can have the capability to get there. The issue is actually getting there. And yes, it does attribute to the fact that he lost his best weapon. He his second best weapon is never healthy. And it just comes down to the fact that he's gonna have to do a little bit of this on his own, try to make it work with what he's got right now. And yes, uh
1: well, look, he still has four right now. So. Yeah, <laughs>
2: but yeah, look, it's a bad trade. It's it was a bad look, it was a bad trade. Let's just be let's just get that out in the air. It was a bad trade for the Texans. They that uh, was an absolute win 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 for it. the Cardinal. Absolute win for the Cardinals, and it's paying off swimmingly for Kyler Murray, he's loving life down there right now with DeAndre Hopkins down there. He must be loving it. So, I mean, it's just like we'll have to give him more time. But right now, Houston is just going the wrong direction. They got to figure something out real quick.
1: Well, I think one of those decisions is going to be, I think it's, uh, I mean, I know that it always seems like, and Houston, remember, started 0-3 last year and won the division. That's true. Um, and the problem is, is Bill O'Brien continues and continues. And listen, I was a Bill O'Brien fan when he first came into the league. But I, I think it's time for a change. understand um, uh, doesn't, doesn't affect personnel. So, I mean, I guess you could say maybe they need to switch a to GM too. But I think that there needs to be some sort of shakeup.
2: Yeah, t- some teams, whether it's ownership, general, or managers, coaches, they just don't understand when time is up. They don't understand. Yeah. They, don't, I, I, they don't seem yeah. to want to admit that it's time to move on. I and just think control control a lot of teams.
1: Team I just think that they can that the a, the Texans continually get a pass, whether it be from ownership or or whoever it may be, because they play in the worst division in football. It's true. It is it is. I mean, look. Even the NFC North at this point, obviously, you have you, you at least have two teams in that division. The Colts. I mean, look. Obviously, their Philip Rivers is not their quarterback of the future. I mean, he's got what years left in the bank, and that's it. The Jaguars are in a complete rebuild. The Titans might be the future of that division, but for years it was always Houston because there's just no that, that division is just abysmal. So every year the Texans win the division. They play that great 425 game on Saturday, every year in the AFC wildcard game and get eliminated. This is they get a pass every year. It's something's got to change in Houston. And hopefully Tennessee wins the division this year and Houston misses Absolutely. altogether. And there, and there's a little bit of a shake up in the AFC in, in yeah. In Houston, because there, there there needs to be at this point.
0: Ever since Bob McNair passed away, um, we have not seen things have just gone completely awry uh, down in Houston. And you know what, uh, Deluca? A very fun fact. Oh, uh, fun fact. Or yeah, a fun fact. <laughs> in, in, uh, Kyler Murray. Uh, Kyler Murray is so far down on the list of passer rating quarterbacks. He uh, just a few guys below him. There's only four guys below him by the name. Kirk Cousins, Sam ah. Donald, and, and, and in incorrect order, sorry. Kirk Cousins, Sam Donald, Daniel Jones, Carson Wentz. That brings us to our next
2: topic. That um, was so – so, honestly, I was so unsurprised by all four of those names. I can't even lie to you. We 100%. So <laughs> that was so, so bad yet so expected.
0: That brings us to our next topic, and we're going to start off with – or we're going to continue on with football, and it's going to be with San Francisco and the New York Giants last weekend. And the reason why we bring this up, Rob DeLuca and Ian Schreier, is because uh, you basically played uh, – excuse me, your uh, the second team for, um, for the San Francisco 49ers and got dismantled by a score – of
1: uh, 30, uh, sorry, uh, nine,
2: yeah.
0: Yeah,
1: I mean, the Giants lost to Shane Falco this past weekend, right? Yeah, really?
0: nine. <laughs> I was gonna say, I think the score was, if I'm not missing it was like 36 to seven, 36 to seven, no, 36, 36, nine. Nine. Yeah. 36 to nine, excuse me, seven, two points, yeah, I'm sorry, <laughs>
3: 36 to
1: <laughs> seven was the Jets, third, 36 to seven. No, Jets was, I think, 36-13, I think was the Oh,
2: yeah. Jets. Uh, no, I'm talking about with the Colts, the Colts. Oh, oh,
1: oh no, no, yeah. no, no, no. no. Correct. Correct. So, yeah, seven
2: was uh, – seven would, would imply we actually scored a touchdown, okay? Correct, <laughs> correct,
1: yeah. It would, so it it would, it would imply that, that the Giants were able to move the ball downfield. Correct. Yeah, so, uh, literally.
0: God. So now now that we discuss this, guys, uh, what is the um, – What is this? Is this bad for the Giants or is this fantastic for the rest of the season, knowing that Jimmy G Raheem Mostert and basically the whole first string offense and defense is not only banged up, but their second team can also do it as well. And they showed against the New York Giants. What is it? And let's hear it from the fans
2: themselves. Well, 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 let's let's really think about this. What does beating the New York Giants really say anymore? And that's a such a sad statement that just came out of my mouth that is so <laughs> it really doesn't say much anymore when you beat the New York Giants. It really doesn't. At this point, it's expected every week. What I saw on that field from the New York Football Giants was beyond the word pathetic. They did not show up. Look, this is how it went week by week. Week but for week one they lose by double digits but they showed promise everywhere. Yes. Week two they lose on the last play of the game but there was definitely a little less positive coming out of that game. Week three I can't dig far enough to find a positive because there weren't any. That may I guess I could give credit to Graham Gano he's clearly still got it in his leg. Man, that's the one positive. Graham is Graham Cano is finally kicking long field goals for the good guys, but. Look, the the fact that it is Friday and Dave Gettleman is still employed by this team pisses me off beyond belief. If we look, because ne- right now the schedule for the Giants does not really show a lot of winnable games coming up. I mean, granted, week five is Dallas, but it's a so it's a division game, anything's possible. But next Sunday at four o'clock, it's LA in the new stadium. They're gonna get dismantled if they play if they come out the way they did against San Francisco it's not even gonna be a close game it's not gonna be a fun game the fact of the matter is the only bright side from losing all these games is that Dave Gettleman might not even finish this season because ownership is finally fed up with him they finally figured out oops maybe when we fired Pat Shermer we should have let him go too because like I said last week, Now not only do they have to find a new GM, they can't go for the best GM. They have to find one that will work with Joe Judge and company.
1: Well, I think the reason that Joe – not Joe Judge, I should say. I think the reason that John Mara did not get rid of Dave Gettleman um, after last season is simply because in theory at the end of last season and from what you saw from Daniel Jones – and all the criticism that the Giants took for taking Daniel Jones instead of taking at a different, you know, instead of taking at the time who we thought Dwayne Haskins was the better option at quarterback or taking another position of need besides quarterback that, the right, like that the yeah. Giants yeah, exactly. desperately needed. Um, that is why. That is why Mara kept him on for one more year. But he did say in his postseason press conference that we need to every week show signs of improvement. There really have not been – I mean, look, Rob hit the nail on the head. I felt really good after week one. I even – in the second half, I felt still okay after week two. But the, this this was a total demolishment of, of, of the Giants, 36-9. to nine. Um, I will tell you this, though. I am much more upset with the offensive scheme than I am with the defensive scheme, and I'm going to tell you why. Look, they gave up 36 points. But hap- I mean, I think I don't have the stats pulled up in front of me. And that's
2: what happened when, happened when you're on so the field for 45 minutes. minutes. Yeah, that's yeah. what happened. When I was, I was, that
1: was something absurd? The Giants' defense could not stay off the field for more than about three minutes. So yeah. for the better part of the first half, the Giants had held the 49ers, with their practice squad team or not, to six points. Six points. So there was a lot. I mean, James Bradbury is looking like a Hell of a signing! I, mean, oh, yeah. I, mean, I believe yeah. rated the second best cornerback has the most pass breakups of any cornerbacks. Through yeah. three weeks, yeah.
2: yeah. and I'll make it easy for you. In the first half on Sunday, the giant because it'll be easier to tell you how long the Giants possessed the ball for. Yeah, in the first half, seven
1: minutes and thirty-five yeah. seconds. I, through the I, whole, whole half. Or I, or I the was was half. Like the play that changed that game. Third and twenty-two. The game is tied. It's all you. All you're doing is you're playing back. You're playing zone. You're, you're keeping your your safeties at the first down marker and at the first down line, so they don't, they don't throw a pass for twenty-five yards or or whatever the case may be. Um, and Darnay Holmes and you watch the replay makes a rookie mistake, the rookie mistake of all rookie mistakes, and just bumps after the first five yards his receiver off keel just a little bit and. The flag gets thrown for, and, and very well it should have been, for illegal contact. What happens on for the rest of that drive? After the five-yard penalty and the automatic first down, the 49ers march down the field and score a touchdown. What happens on the next Giants possession? Daniel Jones basically throws an interception on the, maybe the first or second play of the drive, results in a field goal. 49ers go up into the half 16-6. to In times of duress like these, no Saquon Barkley – No Sterling Shepard. Your franchise quarterback, who is supposed to be right now, Daniel Jones, has to step up and perform. You're supposed to show improvement in year two. He did not do that. So I will tell you this. Weeks one and week two, I thought he showed some promise. I am highly skeptical right now after week three, yep. and we'll see what happens. Yeah, uh, we'll tell you. Leading he needs to have a bounce back performance. Otherwise, we could be talking about Trevor Lawrence in this year's draft.
2: Yeah, look, look leading the team in rushing is not helpful when you're when you're the quarterback for week yeah. three, which he did do. He did end up leading the team in rushing yards, which doesn't impress me when your best back is Devontae Freeman Yep. at this
1: point, who is – look. And trust guy. me, I don't want to be talking, when we just drafted a quarterback two years ago – and I want to uh, talk about Trevor Lawrence. Talking Trevor Lawrence after starting 0-4. I don't want to have to say that two of our last three first-round draft picks have been used on a quarterback because the Giants can't seem to figure this out. Right. There are other areas of need. So, listen, I, I am highly skeptical of Daniel Jones after that game. I'll be surprised. It could, if It could get real alarming if he doesn't show up on Sunday. Yeah, let let's see where the chips lay where they may. This is, again – a lost season for the giants somehow they're still only a game out of the division i'm not even, i really didn't even want to mention that because that's yeah, not yeah i mean you're you're in in. as for any giants fan yeah. so like enough with this oh yeah they're only one game they just got to figure out a way to turn it around yeah.
2: <laughs> that's what's stupid about the nfc east this one win puts them in first place which is embarrassing enough for the rest of the division but yeah depending on who the gm is the giants might end up having to trade that pick at the at the draft depending on who the gm is if it's still if it is somehow dave gettleman which will make me want to jump off my roof but if it's him he might trade the pick whatever it might be and get assets instead because he'll probably want to stick by daniel
1: jones so I, i'd almost guarantee at this point rob that if they r- remain on this path and i'm not expecting them to win sunday and i'm not expecting them to win the sunday after that against dallas I am not expecting Gettleman at this point to be the general manager after this, I, I this
2: season. I don't expect him to last the season. I don't expect him to make it to the bye week at this point. And what we've got, we've got a pretty late bye week. It's like week 11. So there's clearly plenty of time for a change to happen. Right. So,
0: so fellas, so now that, now that we've discussed a lot about the New York football giants, I want to hear about the opposite side and how good this is for San Francisco. Is it good for them? Is it not good for them? And will they be team number four to make the playoffs in the NFC West? Will all four teams in the NFC West make it with all of these uh, injuries that are not only beginning to pile up, they continue to lag on?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, aside from talking about how bad the MetLife turf is for all these injuries, let's we'll, we'll get to that another uh, in another second or something. But look... They, obviously, it's not good. You want your starters back, especially because you don't know how long these guys can keep this up for. Because look, they played the look. They, the, what did they? What did they do when all these guys? Who are they playing when they? When this all started happening, the Jets and then the Giants in back-to-back games. You got to see what they can do against a real opponent, which is. It, I, I'll i leave that okay. call to you. I'll okay. leave that up to you. <laughs> <laughs> to call the Eagles a real team, that's your call.
1: But yeah, on Sunday night, or is it? it
2: a, it's a Sunday night football game. It's a real test. It, unlike the Giants and the Jets, this is a real test for the uh, 49ers. So we will see what happens then with Nick
1: Mullins. Jimmy
2: uh, and Raheem Mostert are both out.
1: I think Joey's about to tell you you are completely wrong in calling the Philadelphia Eagles a test after time. Well, let me
0: him. tell you something. Let me tell you something. <laughs> we're, going off, we're going to start a brand new segment. And you know what it's called? It's called what really grinds. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. And you know what? And exactly what Rob DeLuca said, real opponent, there you go. That's <laughs> what I'm because you know what? The Eagles are not a real opponent at all. San Francisco, in my opinion, guys, uh, will absolutely annihilate the Eagles. Okay, I don't care.
1: I mean, I, I don't know about annihilate. No, that'll I, be a real I, I really don't think Nick Mullins is going to be the next Joe Montana. Let's call it what it is. But hey, listen, please, you never know. know.
0: Listen, let me tell you something. I, I, I don't think he's really bad because, again, you look at Carson Wentz who leads the uh, – who leads the NFL in interceptions? Uh, does not understand the playbook anymore. All of a sudden, he now has gone back to kindergarten football, and uh, it's he now has a sixty-three point nine passer rating in um, in in, in through, throughout four weeks of football. Sorry. That Sorry. is the lowest. Hold on one moment. Sorry. That is the lowest of all NFL starters
2: into week number four. Rob Deluga, go ahead. So. So we kind of saw a little teaser last week. When is it really Jalen Hurts time? We've talked for about a week. Oh, so, so hold on. So hold on. So hold on. So 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 let's finish.
0: So let's finish the topic on hand being with San Francisco. So San Francisco right now is getting George Kittle back. They're getting Debo Samuel back. They yeah. do not have Jimmy G back, Jimmy Garoppolo back yet. They're gonna have Nick Mullins. Uh, They're also getting back – or sorry, they're not getting back uh, Richard Sherman yet. I do not believe – there was a tweet that was sent out earlier about who was coming back. Uh, I, I'm almost positive it was Kittle, it was Debo Samuel, and there was one more that that was
1: there.
2: The, the notable names that aren't the only notable names not coming back were Garoppolo and Mostert. That was right. it. Well,
1: and don't forget about this guy named Bosa who's pretty. Cool. Well, Bosa, but he's oh, out for the year. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. He's, not, he's, he's out. He's out. He's out. for the whole time, which uh, right. you know, which which we figured anyway. But uh, I think that this is fantastic for. Uh, for San Francisco, because if this second team can do really well, hopefully there's for them, hopefully there's no rust uh, off of uh, Jimmy G off of Raheem Mostert. And really they could just flow right back into it. And excuse me, a lot of these guys, again, it's next man up. This team could be, I don't want to say that, you know, as Ian said, you know, they're very one dimensional team. They're they're a run based team. We get that, but you know what? We now got to see what Jarek McKinnon was able to do. And I personally believe now this week is going to be an absolute slaughterhouse. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna uh, uh, put it any lighter than that. Um, it, it's the truth. And you know what, Rob? Uh, uh, what is the matter with you saying a real opponent or not a real opponent? Well, what is the matter with you? This team is not a real opponent. Okay. Let me tell you something. The Philadelphia Eagles, that's the next thing that we're going to get to and probably one of the final topics that we're going to get to on this show. We are on Blackjack TV, so we have unlimited time. So I want to just finish this and two more topics after this. But you know what? Let's get to this. And you know what it's called? This topic is called What Really Grinds My Gears. And you (laughs) know what Grinds My Gears? What Grinds My Gears is, is that Doug Peterson, he can call the Philly special on fourth down in the Super Bowl with a backup quarterback named Nick Foles, who turned out to be your Super Bowl MVP. 4133 For f- f- uh, uh, f- uh, four, uh, yeah, forty-one, thirty-three. I I can't even say it. It was the final score three years ago. But again, I look back at at what they did, and again, Carson Wentz first quarter interception. There was nothing he was throwing to. He was throwing in the middle of the field because he couldn't throw it away. The injuries, wide-open touchdown miss to Greg Ward is an absolute disgrace. Okay, next page now we're on here. The next thing. The next thing is is that Doug Peterson says on 97.5 WIP, uh, the next morning he says that it was a knee-jerk reaction uh, or it is a knee-jerk reaction to say – that it would be Wentz to Hurts. The next thing is is that he thought in terms of that overtime play where it was fourth fourth down and he could have gone for it. He didn't go for it. Or he didn't even attempt to kick the field goal. Let's not forget, Giants fans, just a few years ago in that Super Bowl year. Okay, 63 yards from Jake Elliott. And that was the game winner in week number three. Okay, that was a legendary moment in Eagles history, and also for uh, the young, uh, the young kicker as well. So, in my opinion, how how they called a delay a game, and how there was nothing more from Doug Peterson there, it just shows how Doug Peterson has now become very soft, and clearly is being affected. By how this whole season, COVID season, has really turned out and has affected the Eagles because now it's affecting from top all the way to the bottom. And I hate to say it, and I once touted at one point that Howie Roseman was one of the best general managers in all of football, has now gone down as probably one of the worst ever since winning the Super Bowl, and has not come off his Super Bowl hangover. That is what grinds my gears.
2: You know what, Mike, I'll give you credit, Joe. You really got through that one well. But look, I only call them a real opponent because look who my team is. Look what I'm dealing with. Look what me and Ian are dealing with here. We're dealing with complete disorganization. At least you have a Super Bowl in the last three years. We haven't sniffed the playoffs in five years and not even a re- legitimate run in almost a decade. What are we looking at here?
1: I mean, I, I thought that this was really the game, and we said it last week on the show, that I thought this was the game for Carson Wentz to really change the narrative of I'm, he's hurt, he's bound up, he'll never be the same quarterback ever again. 225 yards passing, one touchdown, two picks. That gets two thumbs down, in my opinion. I, I Look, I thought Joey hit – I don't really need to, to beat a dead horse here. I thought, you know – all, you know, the nails were kind of hit on the head from what from what Joey was was stating as an Eagles fan himself. I thought he really said everything that needed to be said. I'm just going to drop a little quip. I'm going to say that that it actually set us back, set football back to the year 2008. And why do I say 2008? Because that was the year that Diamond McNabb didn't know about ties in football, and they tied yeah. okay. the Cincinnati Bengals 13-13 in 2008. So, dropped a little quip yeah. in there. Why not? I just thought it was kind of interesting. It came against the same team, except the fact that Carson Wentz probably knew that there were ties in the NFL.
3: Yeah,
0: and um, also,
1: whereas Donovan McNabb did not. Yeah, so. that is ahead, coming from.
0: Yeah, that is coming from a quarterback who was throwing up on the sideline in Super Bowl Thirty Nine. Number one. Uh, number two. Also, this is also two thousand eight. Was the year that they made the NFC Championship anyway sure. against sure. the Arizona sure. Cardinals. I'll never forget watching that and almost crying as a, uh, how old was I? 2018, uh, An eight year old, no, an eight year old, uh, uh, 2013, 13, 13. Oh boy. Wow. I can't, do, not only I can't do math, I can't figure out how old I was. Um, but Ian, please, uh, your, uh, your, your, closing thoughts with, uh, with the Eagles and the, and, and the Bengals. It's just, there's not much really to
3: say.
1: Neither team could capitalize on turnovers. There were plenty of them. There were plenty of stall drives yet. There were 685 yards of total offense. Um, I think, look, I like the, what the future looks for Joe Burrow. I mean, he's really made some real nice throws. He's made some nice plays. There's a lot to look forward to with regards to um, the Cincinnati Bengals with Joe Burrow leading the way as the quarterback. I don't know if Zach Taylor is going to be the future for that team as the head coach, but I do like what I'm seeing so far out of Joe Burrow. Um, I, I'm not even so sure that Jalen Hurts is the future at quarterback. I, I think Jalen Hurts is going to be very, very much used like a Taysom Hill uh, is in New Orleans when that time comes. We even saw it on Sunday where Hill uh, – Hill, I'm thinking New Orleans uh, – where Hertz came in actually for a play and lined up a quarterback and Wentz was split out wide, something we've seen so much of in New Orleans the last couple of years. But, um, look, I, I don't know if this is the end for Doug Peterson, if this is the end for Carson Wentz because um, I'm, I'm not I, – look, I, like I said, this was really supposed to be a redemption game for Carson Wentz, a redemption game for the Philadelphia Eagles for them to – really pull through and show that they could actually be a team that contends for the NFC East. And uh, I, I agree with Joey here. I don't think there's a lot to like right now about the Eagles.
0: There is not only not a lot to like here, but also just a few days ago, there was some rumors, uh, and actually a couple of pictures as in terms of proof that was spotted where Doug Peterson and Howie Roseman, uh, head coach and general manager, respectively, we're caught arguing on the sidelines uh, of practice, so clearly there's a lot of turmoil not only in the front office but also on the field as well. Listen, folks, uh, it's very obvious that also the Eagles are one of the oldest teams in the NFL. They, they re-signed Deshaun Jackson for a three-year contract worth a gazillion dollars, and clearly it has not panned out. Malik Jackson uh, came, uh, came off of a great year in, in Jacksonville. He also has a Super Bowl ring from his time in Denver. That has not panned out really yet. Don't get me wrong. There were, a whole, there were I think, eight or nine sacks for the Eagles this past weekend, which was great, but the result was a tie. Um, Brandon Graham is the only one that I would say, including it would be Graham and, and Fletcher Cox, I would say blow up the rest of the team, and that does include the general manager in Howie Roseman as well, and I hate to say it, as Doug Peterson. I think the way it was was that they tried to get back Andy Reid, but try and get his a disciple of him because everything worked out so well under Andy Reid. Unfortunately, uh one Super Bowl appearance with him, but Again, you got a Super Bowl here with, um, with Doug Peterson. You have a statue outside with him and Nick Foles. I think we are coming to the end uh, of this, especially when Carson Wentz is making $34 million starting next year. And, uh, and there, goes, there goes the rest of your cap. You're $60 million over. Uh, it's time to blow this thing up fellas um, what is the most intriguing game that you may have this is just one little pop-up here um, most intriguing game uh, this upcoming week there's so many games there's also a postponement as well because of covid 19 that is Tennessee and Pittsburgh that was supposed to be I believe a four o'clock game right? that would have
1: been one of my more intriguing games. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That would have been a great game, and uh, and unfortunately that has now been called off and moved to week seven, and it looked as if uh, that also a few bye weeks had to be shifted around. Yeah, and Ravens they, got, got moved on that one. Ravens, Ravens, right. Now they their bye week went from week eight to week seven, so we'll see how that affects them. Uh, probably shouldn't affect them that that
2: much. It's but a ways away. Way. It shouldn't be too bad.
0: But in terms of planning, it, it might. Um, who knows? We'll <laughs> see in terms of in terms of injury but let's start off with Ian here and I want to see now that your most intriguing game has now been postponed what would be your number two on the docket
1: well I think it's at this point it's just about everybody's number one though it it would have to be the Pats and the Chiefs right it's it's got to be Cam versus Mahomes it's got to be Belichick versus Reed it's you know it's it's the Nance Tony Romo can't wait to you know uh, can't wait for this game on Sunday at 425. Meanwhile, I'll still be watching the Giants uh, and, and putting myself through that torture. But um, how about this for an interesting game, in my opinion? Um, I actually think there's actually two other games on the schedule that are actually quite interesting. Um, one of those games is actually the New Orleans Saints going to Detroit to play the Lions. Um, remember, the Saints are uh, coming off uh, – are one and two right now. Uh, They, they won week, they won week one against Tampa Bay and have since, uh, you know, taken on two consecutive losses. Uh, The Lions are coming off a real nice win over the Cardinals, even though Kyler Murray did not have his best game last week. And then the other game that's actually, uh, and we've mentioned both these teams already today, tonight are the Houston Texans and the Minnesota Vikings. Um, I think it's going to be a game to show which team in a, Again, a must-win situation is really going to show up. Uh, Minnesota obviously has a solid defense, but as we mentioned, no Anthony Barr. So that's really going to hurt them in the middle of their defense, especially if Houston tries to get some semblance of a running game going. And then on the other side, you've got Minnesota, who's looking to get a pass rush going, uh, going up against a very weak Houston offensive line. So I think we could see a real tight, close game between those two teams and, uh, I think Detroit New Orleans is actually going to be a b- little bit better of a game than advertised, just because I'm really not high on the Saints right now. Breeze is not able to throw the ball downfield, and I think if the, if the Lions' first round draft pick is playing and he played real well last week against the Cardinals and Jeff Okuda, um, I think they're you know Breeze is going to have a hard time again with no Michael Thomas and probably Okuda guarding Sanders or whoever he's going to guard. That they're going to have some uh, some trouble in terms of options besides Traquan Smith.
0: Rob Deluca, your thoughts on uh, your most intriguing matchups or the top two, if you will?
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, outside of uh, yeah, the outside of the obvious, New England, Kansas City. I'll go off a little off the radar right there. Ian also mentioned some good ones, but one that stuck out to me a little bit, just because of what we've seen from both of these teams over the first three weeks. Just and you know, base it on records and just personnel, who's in there. You know, you look at uh Colts, Colts versus Bears. You know it's, you got you got to think that should be an interest. Nick Foles versus Philip Rivers. You know, two two older side quarterbacks, but both very good quarterbacks. So you know what? I think that could make for a very nice high scoring offensive showdown between two rather, I guess, decent teams. Because again, like we mentioned earlier, the Bears might as well be zero and could as well be zero and three, but they're three and zero. So you know what? It should make for an exciting game.
0: Now the. Now, for me, I'll I'll close this out. My most intriguing game this week, and I want to see how the Las Vegas Raiders are going to respond following uh, following their loss um, to uh, I'm I'm blanking I'm blanking out here. Uh, England, right, to New England, yeah, and and they, uh, and they they had lost thirty six to twenty, um, and you know, really, Cam Newton, Rex Burkhead. Um, they 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 made mincemeat out of uh, out out of the Las Vegas Raiders, and also Darren Waller had two receptions for nine yards. Um, yep. I want to see how uh, how Las Vegas uh, comes back. That's going to be a four twenty five game as well, but also Buffalo too, and they in a controversial victory. Um, against the L.A. Rams last week at Nuera Field. This is going to be the second game inside the new Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. That's going to be a great game, as well as, as Rob DeLuca said, the Chicago Bears and the Indianapolis Colts. Those are the two games that really are on my docket, and it's not a bias with Nick Foles. It really is. Um, The fact of the matter is, is that two veteran QBs going at it, and also on top of it, two disciples on both uh, sidelines of both Andy Reed and, uh, and, and, um, and, and Frank, um, uh, uh, Frank Reich, excuse me. I'm thinking of the Lakers, Frank Vogel, no Frank Reich. Um, so it's, it's going to be really a good showdown and it's going to be two pieces off of, uh, off of Andy Reed's tree, uh, coaching tree that will be, uh, will be battling head to head. And it should be a really good one between, um, two teams that are both 2 and 1 and 3 and 0 respectively um fellas i want to just close this out here with something that is a little um a little personal and the reason why is because um it, it's it, it's very very difficult with major league baseball and uh, and the professional scouts um professional baseball scouts foundation that has effectively uh gone uh defunct and uh, and a good friend uh, that has gotten me through the business in special assistant to the general manager and to the owner, uh, Jerry Reinsdorf. Uh, the name is Dennis Gilbert, and uh, he's been a mentor of mine. He's been um, a really good guy to me when we've gone out to Los Angeles and to, uh, to, uh, to his home. Uh, he's opened up his home to all, all scouts, to MLB Network, to Fox Sports, etc., and have tried to recognize uh, baseball scouts uh, in the industry because there is not a single sighting in Major League Baseball um, that really cares about the scouts, and it is absolutely disgusting. It is disgraceful, and the amount of work that the scouts uh, have, that, 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 that they do for this game, um, it's not recognized enough, and also uh, because of financial things, because of um, because of the, the lack of major league baseball response this year, um, it looks as if that, uh, a good, like I said, uh, Dennis Gilbert will, will be shutting up, uh, shutting down, uh, the professional baseball scouts foundation. And, uh, that is something that is really, really hard for a lot of scouts in this industry. Again. Um, you know, and I don't want to make this about myself, but I do have a personal relationship with a ton of scouts, um, you know, in, in major league baseball and, uh, and, and some of these guys have found a, a lot of players such as, uh, Todd Frazier, Lee Saris, uh really good guy, um, you know, that they do not get recognized enough and for major league baseball to really, uh, put their hands up and turn their back on, uh, on a, on a famed man, such as Dennis Gilbert. Uh, is really a shame and is really disgusting. And it brings up, as we did say, this is actually the second time that we're going back to the top of the show, is the integrity of baseball is beginning to lack. And, uh, and, it's, and it's, it's a dying sport. We know that audience, uh, the numbers, we've seen it. Um, but to continue with this, uh, in this trajectory, um, I think by the time the three of us are senior citizens, baseball could be something that is, uh, very much in the back seat, uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of sports in the United States, because, uh, without scouts, uh, some of these peep some of these players would not be found. And, uh, and, and we know very well that a lot of that, some players, um, are found by scouts very, very, very low. Uh, and in some suburban areas that, we never knew would happen. Obviously, I don't want to mention the name Stephen Matz, but um, you know, again, Stephen Matz has not been great. But in the beginning, he was a flash in the pan. Uh, he was from a small town out here called East Tawket and uh, Ward Melville High School, where the, the school is about this big, and uh, and the town is about I don't know, I'd say about maybe this big. So again, you know, without Scouts, baseball would not be where they are now, and they have not gotten the uh, they have not gotten anything that they have deserved in terms of recognition. And uh, our friend or good friend Dennis Gilbert has been doing that. and unfortunately, um, nothing has been shown and effectively has had to shut down. So um, shame on Major League Baseball for allowing that to happen, especially because this is a live event every year from the Beverly Hills Hilton, uh, every, uh, Martin Luther King jr. Weekend. So again, uh, that, that is all we've got here. Any closing thoughts from Ian and Rob, as we, uh, conclude just two and two hours and 15 minutes, we're 15 minutes over, but, uh, again, that is okay on the blackjack TV network. Uh, any final thoughts, fellas, or any, uh, final
1: predictions? Uh, you know, I, I think it's uh, – I certainly hope um, – I, I really did like listening to what you had to say there, Joey, and um, I certainly hope baseball is not a dying sport. I know uh, every year they're trying to make adjustments to the sport to try to increase engagement and try to increase uh, fan attendance. Obviously, fan attendance is a moot point with regards to the uh, uh, the pandemic. I mean, this is – baseball is the sport that I grew up on. I went to my first Met game when I was three years old. Um you know, baseball was always my first love. And um, I mean, to hear you say something like that, obviously, I, I know it's certainly a possibility that um, with the way that sport moves, that it could certainly take a, a back seat. But in the end, it's still the national pastime. It's a sport I love. And uh, certainly, it, I hope it doesn't come to that conclusion. Uh, but with regards to, uh, you know, what's going on right now, uh, you know, with all of us, and uh, um, I certainly can, and I wanted to say this on the show, can't thank you enough, Joey, and everybody at Blackjack and I 95 for asking myself to come on as a co-host of the show. Um, I didn't think when I think I came on the, sh- the show for the first time, maybe about a month and a half ago, that uh, this is where all roads would lead to. And uh, I'm certainly glad-, glad to have made two new friendships and uh, and and have a chance every Friday to really kind of talk this out with you guys and-, and chat about sports. I know I repeat it, but I, I am certainly just so thankful uh, that <clears> – <throat> excuse me – that we uh, just get this opportunity every week.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Um Again, um, and just to just to credit uh, that that someone was not directly from uh, from Dennis Gilbert. I have not spoken to him yet. I've texted him. I have not gotten a response yet. This is from the legendary Peter Gammons, uh, and we, we know Peter Gammons very well. Um, that is the uh, the uh, the source of this information. Um, I'm waiting to hear back from him. It is three hour difference uh, in Los Angeles. That's where he lives. Um, so again. Rob Deluca, any any final thoughts or predictions? Yeah, no,
2: Ian, Ian hit it pretty well. I'm so so grateful that you have also extended the invitation to me to come on here every week now, and it I have a I have a blast, you know, and just with everything going on in the world, it's 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 awesome just to get two hours to escape it, to escape all the chaos in the world right now. It's you know not a good time right now to be in 2020. We got to get the hell out of this year, and just just coming here every Friday night. It's just a, a very peaceful, very calm way to to end, to end the week out. At, especially a week like this one. This one was long. This one was excruciatingly
1: long. But so that's yeah. I mean, it's a grand from what's going on, Rob. It's a, to add to what Rob's saying. It's just a it's just a great escape from the world right now.
0: Amen. There's no doubt about it. And again, folks, just to say this also, this eight and a half by eleven piece of Donnie baseball is currently right now. Uh, up for grabs. It is a uh, uh, it is another promotion that we are running. We had a successful Matt Martin puck uh, that was given away to a young lady from North Belmore uh, that she was really really stoked about it. And uh, for those that may want to win a Don Mattingly uh, eight and a half by eleven photo, courtesy of Steiner Sports, uh, please follow the instructions that are on this graphic. Do you want to win a Don Mattingly 85 by 11 photo? Well, you have to follow these rules. Those instructions are you have to follow us on Twitter, at Observe and or on Instagram and Facebook with the following ats, with the following names there, at the Observer or at the Observer on Facebook as well. And also the second part of the instructional there is is that you must send us a photo showing how you are enjoying baseball. Uh, So obviously with the Yankees and the Marlins uh, moving on, it is a good, uh, a good giveaway here. And especially because of uh, Donnie baseball showing his, his worth with the New York Yankees, unfortunately could not get that ring. Um, There's, there's a lot of hope now as a manager. Also, fellas, on Monday, Monday night, we will be continuing the interview series powered by StreamYard. We will be welcoming NBC Sports Chicago contributor and also Chicago Blackhawks rinkside reporter Nick Gizmondi. Yes, you hear him with Eddie Olchek. And with Pat Foley, if you live in the Chicago area, that will be coming to you live on Monday night, October 5th at 8 p.m. Yes, I know that the the Yankees will be playing at 8 o'clock, but hey, listen, work does come first. Also, uh, this coming Saturday as well, uh, in our relationship with the New York Scouts Association, we will be highlighting Frank O'Rourke, former Major League Pro Scout for the Cincinnati Reds and the New York Yankees. He was the one to find Al Downing. Uh, Episode number 24 comes your way in conjunction with the Eastern Observer and the Pro Scouts Association this Saturday, October 3rd at 11 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Eastern Observer. So, ladies and gentlemen, once again, for Ian Schreier, Rob DeLuca, and for all of us here at the Blackjack Media Group and the Eastern Observer, I'm Joey Jarzinka. We'll see you next time.